0: You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 110. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And check out CodingBlocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole lot more. Send your feedback,
1: questions, and rants to comments at CodingBlocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks or head to www.CodingBlocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm
0: Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by Clubhouse, the developer-friendly project management platform and Datadog, the monitoring platform for cloud scale infrastructure and applications. All right. So in this episode, quickly we're
1: going to well, no, we won't quickly do this, but quickly I'll tell you what we're going to do in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be continuing on the pragmatic programmer. And in this time ta- in this one, we're going to be talking about basic tools and and why text is important.
2: All right, and first up, a little bit of news here. So, big thank you to the reviews. Uh, iTunes, we got Breakpoint Won't Be Hit and Symphonic Picture, so thank you very much.
0: And from Stitcher, we have Arnon.
2: And, and you know
1: what, man? That Breakpoint Won't Be Hit is so frustrating with that. Isn't
0: it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I think every one of us felt a little bit of pain when we read that name or when you heard it. We're like, ah, oh, yeah, really? I
1: feel it, brother. That's rough. Um. All right, so the, the one thing that I want to point out, so Joe Zach does a lot of the the newsletter contest type things that we send out, and if you're not a part of the newsletter, I recommend it. We give away a lot of software on there and other things. So uh, like the one that we just did was a JetBrains contest, and he, and he did something really fun with it. He's like, hey, tell us what is a great motivational song for you. And so I thought it'd be fun to take the, all the responses we got from it, which were a lot, and try and create a Spotify playlist with all these songs, right? And uh, it's surprisingly birdshot. <laughs> there, is stuff- <laughs> there is stuff everywhere. Like... It it reminds me of kind of like what my playlists are, right? Like there there might be some really mellow song, then there's going to be some hardcore gangster rap, and then maybe some heavy metal. So it, I, it felt very much familiar to me, but I, I highly recommend it. We'll have a link in the show notes here. You know, go check it out. I, I found some new uh, bands and, and songs that I'd never heard before. Some of them I really like, some of them I was like, yeah, but you know. you'll probably find the same thing. So I'm not completely done with it. Hopefully by the time this drops, this one releases, I will have them all in there. I will tell you that um, one of the songs, I have the tiger came up so many times. Like I almost started keeping a tally of it because it's like, oh, hit that one, that one. And don't stop believing by journey also made a lot. So we've got a lot of People from the '80s era <laughs> that were adding these songs in here, or '70s. Like, I, I didn't see any Rage Against the Machine in the list, so I'm gonna have to disqualify this whole. <laughs> I haven't put my entries in yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think the three of us need to cut. Co- oh, all right.
0: I feel like "Killing in the Name of" should be somewhere. In oh, there. That's a really good one. Um, so that it, gets you that gets you pumped up and motivated.
2: We we should put us all on the spot. So yours, is "Killing in the Name of." What would yours be, Joe? I'm sorry, I got sealer from Critner. It's just too good. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh. Ashley Owes oh honey.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. You gotta come up with your own. That's not fair. Hey, oh, I'm sorry, this funny. is
2: just so good. Like I'm on a roll achieving my goals. It's just too good. All right. So
1: I've got three and I don't know what they would be. Like I know I'd have to ultimately pick one, but I think Outlaw, you might like this one. So M M from Eight Mile, uh lose yourself. Okay. That one always pumps me up. That's a good one.
0: I mean, hey, we got rabbit right here. We could have him <laughs> that's right. we could we could tell him to, you know, do a little rap for us. Joe Zach, throw it down. Yeah. For I him. mean, he might have some spaghetti on his sweater already, so he might be ready. <laughs> oh, that's amazing.
1: Um this, say what? Oh <laughs> Right. Um, there is the script, Hall of Fame. That's another one that I really like. And then by Imagine Dragons whatever it takes like those are three that I could listen to anytime and be like oh, yeah, yeah, let's go conquer the world I'm fine so and I know I had that on Do Not Disturb so now I'm just gonna turn it off
0: yeah Alan <laughs> way to go that's unbelievable all right. Who who leaves their phones in like regular mode when it's time to record? It was on Do Not Disturb. I mean, surely that. I did not forget to do that.
2: <laughs> as he as he clicks on his watch <laughs> and his phones. Yeah. Turn uh, the off. I keep mine on silent all the time.
1: Man, it's so frustrating. I had to
2: do not disturb. So anyways, With yes. Killer ringtones like mine. I got to hear them. <laughs> well, mine's always stuck in the couch anyway, so it didn't really matter. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. I'm, I'm never near it. So definitely
1: go check out the Spotify thing. And then Joe, you've got some other stuff here.
2: Yep. Uh, doing another book giveaway this episode. Ma- make sure to leave a comment and uh, we'll pick a winner and we'll try to contact you. It's a little bit awkward now with Discord. Thanks to GDPR. So uh, make sure to check your uh, your comments to see if uh, any have been replied to. I think it gives you a little n- a notification to discuss. Just keep an eye out when you're popping around in there. Uh, had a few people not know that uh, they've been contacted. The they don't show what? you the email address anymore.
0: Wait. Oh, that's what you mean by thanks to GDPR? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was like, wait, where are we going with this? What's the Yeah,
2: I have no way to see yeah, so uh there's a few people that have won uh, in the last couple of months that uh presumably don't know that they've won. <laughs> so Yeah. You should uh, come on come back to the site, leave a comment for this episode, and hey, maybe you won one last month.
1: And if you don't know what GDPR is, that's some good toilet side reading. Just Google it. <laughs> <side
0: reading. laughs> Isn't
1: that when you do all your reading? I don't know. Well, so you- I think
0: there's a there's a different term for it though. <laughs> I've never heard it referred to as toilet side reading, but <laughs> <laughs> i guess if we uh, want to cle- keep that clean tag on itunes we
1: won't say it yeah no we'll, we'll yep. keep it in toilet side. all right what else we got
2: i uh, also want to mention that i'll be uh, speaking at the daytona devs meet up in july i don't think there's a date yet but it's going to be late in the month so probably around uh, maybe the 30th or something so you uh, should come check that out if you live in around uh, daytona volusia county
1: hey wh- what's it? the topic Oh, that part oh, doesn't stack. matter. It's Daytona. <laughs> I'm just talking.
0: I mean, yeah. here's the thing. Like, there's a little bit of jealousy. I'm not going to lie. Because every one of his talks are like, some that sound, like, really cool. You know, it's like, oh, hey, here's another beach destination I'm going to do a talk on. What's the talk on? I don't care. It's at a beach.
2: Yeah, it is it is super cool. It's really cool. <laughs> but, yeah, like, the topic really doesn't matter. Like, as everyone, like, secretly knows, like, the best part about going to meetups is actually just, like, the talking before and after. Sorry, no offense. Usually everyone should go and uh, pay good attention to Alan's talk uh, this week. But, uh <laughs>
1: Wait, wait, that's already gone. That's over, right? Yeah, that was last Yeah. Week. yeah.
2: Oh, that's right. That's in the past. It was awesome. Oh.
1: I'm just telling you right now. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, nice. I did one
2: last week, too, then. <laughs> yeah. But what is it? Is it Jamstack? Jamstack. And I'm doing this one, uh, one, a new one this week on um, C for J- JavaScript developers, which uh, I think is going to be interesting. we'll try and get a, a video published for that uh, this, this week, too. <laughs> Very cool. All right. So...
1: I guess moving in here, we're going to be talking about the basic tools you need as a pragmatic programmer. And and this is a very true statement. The tools can amplify your talent, right? That's that's important. They're not going to make you better, but they can amplify what you're already good at and what you already know.
0: Yeah, I actually like had my own highlights and notes in the book for that part because when they were saying, like, you know, the tools Uh, amplify your talents. And I'm like, well, they're going to only (laughs) amplify your talent and you have to have the talent there. But I mean, I get what they're going after here, right? Like, uh, I mean, you kind of have to know what you're trying to do before, you know, I mean, the tool isn't going to just do it for you, right? That's true. Except for like, if you think about things like ReSharper, it definitely let's let's back up. So you had to still put the thought out, and then ReSharper can make a suggestion.
1: Right, right. But I guess what I was getting at is, you remember the first time you ever looked at a link query in C Sharp, and you just said, "I have no idea what this garbage is." Right, and that was a rabbit hole that you go down. One of the cool things, like in ReSharper, is you could go in there and put in your regular for loop and all that kind of stuff, and say, "Hey, turn this into a link query," and you could kind of see. How it moved your old train of thought into this new right. this new context, right? So it could help, but you still From have customer
0: it. in customers, blah blah blah, right?
1: Yeah. Right. So you could do some really cool stuff with it, but I, I, I do agree with this overall that tools are going to help you increase your
0: abilities. Yeah, and we we say that they can amplify because you still need to know like how to use these tools too to their full capability. So it's not just about like. Uh, you knowing what you want to do, but also knowing what the tool can do too. Like yes. if you don't even know that the tool can do, has the ability to do something like, like you brought up the resharper refactoring, refactoring, uh, you know, suggestions. Like if you didn't even know that it could do that, or you're not paying attention when it's little light bulbs pop up or it's little squigglies pop up, then you know, it's still not doing you any good. Like you're not using it to its full capability at that point. So I have a question for you guys. <clears throat> How do you find
1: out about all the capabilities of Because like, Let's be honest. Things uh, like Visual Studio or IntelliJ, those are massive.
0: I think, in my opinion, you have to be you just have to be that inquisitive. Like that needs to be part of your nature, right? To be inquisitive, like, ooh, what does this do? What happens if I click that? Oh, that's the default? What if I change it? Like that that's how you you have to be willing to experiment. What about you, Joe?
2: I hate changing defaults. So I don't <laughs> like changing settings. Although I will say, um, I think like a year or two ago, we kind of talked about like some shortcuts and like improving typing speed and stuff and some of the things that some developers were kind of talking around about the time as a way of kind of getting to know their tools better in order to kind of improve the craft. And I kind of poo pooed it because I was like, listen, typing speed is not my bottleneck when it comes to coding. And I think I had a, a big rant about it, but I'm kind of coming back around the other side on that one. Uh, after working in IntelliJ a little bit recently, I realized just how important it is to know your tools because if you're struggling with the tool and if you're having to look up the shortcut and Google how to do stuff, then you lose your train of thoughts on the other things. So it's hard to maintain like a high-level way of thinking and thinking about like design of code if you're tripping on your editor and tripping on your tools. So since then, I've been a lot better about trying to look up those shortcuts and trying to kind of figure out those um, – those things just to make life easier, like just little stupid stuff, like knowing how to like all caps or all lowercase or just little things like that, how to rename and files uh, really helps out a lot. So that kind of goes to the tool. So I've changed my font recently. I've installed a couple of extensions and kind of played around in, in VS Code. So I'm trying to invest some more time there. And so that's where my head's at right now. That's
1: cool. I was also going to mention a place that that I didn't used to go to to find these things, but more over time, just because these these tool sets are so huge, I'll actually look at the release notes for for you know uh, a particular version because they'll mention things like uh, you know I dropped something in Slack the other day about temporal tables in SQL Server, and if you're just somebody that's a SQL guru that's you know you've been doing it for ten or fifteen years you're probably not going to look into the, to the brand new things that happen because you probably already come up with ways to version your data and your tables and all that kind of stuff. And you may not know that that thing exists. So, you know, the release notes help you at least find nuggets. that's like, Hey, wait, what is that? And go search and, and find it out. You know? Yeah.
0: yeah. It kind of goes hand in hand with like another th- theory that I've had for a long time too, That you know, like, don't be afraid to break it. You yeah. know, like <clears throat> you want to learn your, your operating system or whatever, like, you know, go in there and mess around, and if you break it, fine. Just reinstall it. Who cares? Like, if you're afraid that, you know, like, oh, I don't want to change the defaults because, or I don't want to change this this tool's configuration because of blah, 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 blah. Like, then it's already some kind of fear, right? And so it's like, don't be afraid to break it because you could always just reinstall it. Yep.
1: Fear only comes from the unknown. The, the more you dig into it, the less you're scared of it because now you're like, you know the nuts and bolts. You know the, the way things work. So... Yeah, the next bullet we have up here is expect to add new tools to your toolbox regularly. You know, I fully agree with this. We haven't done one of the episodes that we've done in years past where we would go through and and list off our favorite new Uh, tools. Favorite
0: tools for the year, yeah.
1: And it's because, I mean, once you get a pretty decent tool bag with your tools in it, you're not constantly hunting for them. But I mean if you go back and listen to any of those we had a lot that You're we are supposed already had.
0: to be though. I know, I know and that's but the I, thing. I would bet you that I bet you that we've found new things. Like we're always giving uh, totally. out tips of the of the week, you know, every episode. So we're always finding something, but it's like instead of saving it for one show, it's right. just getting sprinkled around.
1: Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I mean definitely always be adding new tools to your toolbox. Find things that oh a way to think about this at least for me is and, and uh, we'll probably mention my buddy, Ryan, Ryan Monster in here a couple of times is he wrote an extension for Visual Studio at one point called Glyphrend, right? If you've ever done any front end work where you're using icon sets, which a lot of people that write any kind of admin pages are, you would find yourself leaving your IDE, going to the web searching for, you know, icon sets, what font awesome is like a very popular one. And you go over there and you'd search and you'd find, Hey, where's, where's an open folder type icon. Right. And then you come back over to your IDE, you would type some stuff in. And anytime you needed to find another icon, you would leave your IDE and go somewhere. And he was like, you know what? If I'm leaving my IDE to go do something, that's a potential gap that needs to be filled with another tool. Right, and so just think about that. If your workflow doesn't feel natural because you're having to leave some environment to go to some other environment, then maybe there's a tool out there for it. Right?
0: Yeah. Always, always be looking around for better ways to do something, to solve some problem.
2: Yeah, I like that a lot. Like um, scripting stuff. If you don't have one, like anything you can do to like kind of consolidate your process, and uh, basically it's it's building towards automating. Right. So like kind of the walk crawl run t- crawl walk run type thing that it sounds like we're kind of talking about here is like you got to kind of figure out what you're doing and you got to kind of formalize that into good processes so you can automate it and uh, that's where those tools come in is they're kind of like automating mundane things into and and uh, able to kind of fill in the gaps in your processes.
1: Yeah, we're not – we didn't put many notes in here regarding the chapter in terms of, like, their analogies and what they drew because, honestly, you should just get the book and read some of this stuff. But they did draw parallels to, like, a a woodworker, right, and how they build up their tools. And and you have to learn those tools, right? It's, you know – Maybe maybe if you're using your circular saw, you know that it sort of has this thing to where it's not exactly on that line all the time. And maybe you can't adjust it to get it there. So, you know about that. And so, over time, you modify these tools to fit your your work style. And it's very similar
0: in the world of software development. I, I am with Joe, though, on this. So like, I don't really change a lot of the defaults.
1: <laughs> I don't either. Basically, because I don't want the next version to come out and hose everything I've got.
0: I mean, I'm kind of wondering, like, where does it draw the lines, though? Because, like, I mean, I do install plugins and extensions. So, does that count? That counts.
1: Totally counts. Or...
0: Because, like, when I think about customizing, when I'm thinking about, like, you know, maybe changing key bindings, like, you mentioned ReSharper, for example, and... I'm I more often than not, like anytime I've installed it, I would just say like, no, I'll keep the visual studio key bindings. I don't want to, even though if I switch to the resharper key bindings, which I have done in the past, the advantage there is that then it's the same key bindings. And when you're in IntelliJ, right? So, you know, if you're going cross platform, like you have that kind of benefit, which is kind of like one of the things that they're talking about, you know, throughout this thing is kind of trying to stay like keeping that kind of cross platform. They're coming at it from a different point of view. We'll, we'll get to it. But, um, I will say I have modified some things. Usually it's more about my particular workflow.
1: So if I'm working on something that is heavy in parallel or concurrent programming type stuff, then I'll dedicate a portion of like my debugging section of my screen to the parallel threads and, and all that kind of stuff. Right. So.
0: It's it's you very mean m- just like window layouts. Yeah, like window layouts. And okay, that's so then that we're counting that. Yeah, I've yeah definitely customization. done that. Yeah, totally. Okay, okay, fine. So, fine. I customize it like crazy. Yeah,
1: so like, you know, I'm trying to think of other ones. Like, you know, some people have it by default in, in Visual Studio, your solution explorer is always on the right. If you go to something like IntelliJ,
0: your project explorer is on the left. Well, I've actually taken in a stream before. I don't know if you've ever done this, where you'll have like saved layouts. Yeah, saved visual layouts. So you're like, okay, well, I'm just on my laptop screen, boom, you know, go to this layout. Okay, I'm on a triple monitor setup, go to that layout. Yeah. Or I'm on a dual monitor. layout Here,
1: use this. And layout. that matters. Like, all that stuff matters. And like, for me, one of them is like the dark theme, right? Like, I need a good dark theme. And for me, an IntelliJ, Darkula is not that theme.
0: God, no, it's not. It's terrible. <laughs> like, it's
1: truly awful.
0: I think, I think if you grew up Visual Studio, you hate Darkula. If you grew up IntelliJ, you love it. Yeah, maybe I, I, I that's tw- what
1: I, that's my assumption. I don't know. There's one. There is a theme, and this should have been one of my tips of the week. But there's a theme in IntelliJ. If you have to, ever have to use it, called One Dark theme. Absolutely amazing. I love that theme. I and that's one of the customizations I'll do. And another one is you know Joe Zach was talking about you know fonts, uh, Fira Code, right or how, Fira Fira, however you want to say it, but but that one that gives you the ligatures and all that kind of stuff and it's a free open source font and like the combination of the two matters a lot to me and that's one of those customizations that I'm going to do like I yeah. will not work in the IDE
0: until I fix those things now it's been I've used WebStorm since I've used IntelliJ and um they're very similar though in their customization capabilities and uh, at least for WebStorm I remember like I had found some themes that were like this is the Visual Studio dark theme mm, nice but for uh webstorm so yeah all right well so so much for uh dark themes <laughs> we know that it's all about the light theme these days cuz it's better on your eyes so yes. so one of the things that they point out though is that don't fall victim to adopting only one power tool such as an IDE right and you know i thought about that and i'm like you know we've all been there at some point in our career and we've all known that guy at some point in our career where they would just use the one thing for everything even though maybe they shouldn't have been. And I know like from my own past, you know, there was a time where, you know, I was doing AIX C development, C and C development of all things, right? <clears throat> but my preference was to edit in Visual Studio and I would just FTP it over to the server <laughs> when it was time to compile. Yep. Right. Because like I-, I I liked the IDE. And I'm like, well, I guess maybe I probably shouldn't have like there's nothing about anything I just said that <laughs> sounds mm. lovely, right? <laughs> the fact that you got to FTP it over to see if like what you just wrote even compiles on that box, right? But oh, yeah, I no mean, thanks. that was, that was you know, a long time ago, but.
2: You ever see someone who uh, who only knows how to use Git through Visual Studio and then like they need to check something and they check something out and they're like, well, okay, let me open Visual Studio. They're like, what?
0: what? It's so painful, man. It, Oh, it, I, I actually have something similar listed as a, as a, um, you know, example to that later. But you know what? I mean, I think, I think maybe we all lived in a world, it, all three of
1: us, maybe at one point where truly it was the IDE. like there was one IDE you spent like a majority of your time in, but I'd venture to say with like the onset of tools like visual studio code, Uh, Atom, Sublime Text, that kind of stuff. I'd venture to say that people definitely have things that they prefer to do in one versus another, right? I think that just the fact that a lot of these tools have become more freely available over time and they're so powerful has really opened up this world a lot.
0: You mean mean like, I'll use this tool for my JavaScript and I'll use this tool for my... C sharpen this tool from my Java, is that what you mean? Maybe or okay. just or the so instead of using one tool to roll them all, you're gonna you're gonna use like your specialized tool. So yeah. you're not gonna try to you're not gonna try to use your your jigsaw when a, when you need a circular saw. Right, going and back it may not word even
1: words. be language specific, it might just be text manipulation. Like I've found over time, like I love the regex capabilities in Visual Studio Code. And I love some of the features that you get and some of the plugins you can do for like splitting lines, joining lines, you just just tasks that i need to do another one as
0: an as as an editor yeah are you using any special plugins for that uh i'm asking for a friend no they're actually, <laughs> they're actually built in control <laughs> oh, really? cfp and they're in the command palette oh um, because i because i bring that up because like uh when you mentioned the reg x uh capability specifically like that's one of my favorite things about sublime uh yeah, it's really good in Visual Studio Code. Uh, like, I'm going really to good. give that a shot. Uh,
1: another one that I find myself doing a ton is, you know, back in the day, I think we had mentioned that even in Notepad plus plus, this might have been a, a tip from years ago. We would have things for formatting JSON and stuff, right? Uh, you get
0: that with Visual Studio Code,
1: like oh. you can paste in a blob of JSON from somewhere and just do
0: Alt Shift F. And you have a nice, pretty You got to change block. your text type, though, on the doc. You have to change it to JSON. We've actually, on this show, talked about, like, as tips of the week, various formatters. And I remember, like, JSON Beautify was one of them, I think. Yeah, back uh, in the day. I, I can't remember, but yeah. And now it's like, well, those are stupid tips. Don't like, eat them. Yeah.
1: Visual Studio Code solves so many of those problems. So I guess what I'm getting at is you used to kind of just live in your IDE, And now there's tools out there that do so many things for you that that maybe you could do it in your IDE, but it's not going to be as efficient.
0: It's not going to be as fast. So do what makes the most sense to you. Yeah. They also mentioned too, like you should be capable and comfortable beyond the limits of your IDE. And so to me, I interpreted this as like, for example, like how many people have you ever known where they rely 100% solely on like say Visual Studio or IntelliJ to do the compilation of their code, like if you if you put a command line in front of them and said compile it, they would have no idea how to do it, right? That used and to so, be me, <laughs> and so for me, like that, you know, you need you brought up Git, right? But knowing how to use MS Build or .NET exe to accomplish those similar build tasks in Visual Studio, for example, like you know that that to me is going beyond your IDE because now you know you have a huge benefit by uh, by knowing that because now you can go into any environment and you can be like, well let me just do this from the command line and see what's happening and now you can script that stuff if you need to, which is super handy for builds uh, for build automation or for even like sharing you know particular build scripts among colleagues and whatnot like you know I'm a so you, fan of, of knowing that kind of stuff
2: yeah you know I, I'm almost getting to a point where I'm like considering the switching over to vs code completely. And uh, right now, I pretty much always have Visual Studio up and VS Code, and I do all my kind of other stuff in VS Code. I just love that command pal, you know, Control-Shift-P, and I don't even have to remember the command and be like, wait, was it, like, Docker, stop? And it was like, okay, here you go, hit enter, and I can stop all or stop one, or I can do all sorts of stuff just to that Control-Shift-P, so it's like one shortcut to rule them all. And then I go back over Visual Studio, but I think it's just that I'm just so comfortable with Visual Studio that I know how to navigate and things look like I expect, so it's comfortable. But I don't know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, what exactly is code missing that doesn't – or what does code not have that is in Visual Studio that keeps making me want to go back to Visual Studio? And I, I haven't been able to put my finger on it yet. I can
1: tell you from my perspective. So, Visual Studio code is got like – you can extend it kind of however you want, right? But it's sort of clunky. Like if you need something that that needs parameters or something, right? Like saying you're setting up uh, an example is I think they have their SQL tools that you can install so that you can connect to a SQL server or something like that. Mm-hmm. When you do it, it's like a really clunky interface. To hey, give me the server name, give me the username, give me the password, and part of it is is because Visual Studio Code's not meant to be this thing where everything's tightly integrated. They give you the hooks to be able to create that, but but the difference is you go into Visual Studio, they have a purpose-built UI for, oh, you want to connect to a SQL server? Sweet. Plug in the host name, plug in the username, password here. You can test your connection and all is mm. good. In Visual Studio Code, it's like this multi-step process through text boxes at the top of the page, and it's just not all connected, you know? It, and I think it's just the difference between a tool that was built with extensibility in mind
0: but not necessarily full cohesion. Well, I mean, my, the the two use cases that come up to to mind for me would be debugging and unit testing. Mm, that's right. A good like, one. you know, if you wanted to, like, in it's both a it's both a pro and a con in Visual Studio Code, right? Like, debugging isn't there by default. You have to you actually have to like set up the environment. You have to configure that that JSON for that. So that's kind of a con that it's not like, oh, I can just hit a button and boom, away I go like I would in Visual Studio. Right. But the pro of that is that now I can commit that JSON as part of my repository. And so now other devs on my team can also share the same thing. So when I say like, hey, this is the particular use case that we're testing, like I can have a specific configuration for that in, in the dev environment, right? Like, and they don't have to have an IDE to run it, right? Like, well, no, no, no. I mean, you're using Visual Studio Code, code into, yeah,
1: which is cross-platform as opposed yeah, to yeah, something yeah. like Visual Studio, yeah.
0: But, but then, like, if you wanted to do unit testing for, you know, C sharp, right? Like, if you're not on command line, like, uh that's still, you know, Visual Studio is still the winner there, right? You know, what's interesting about this, or at least this, in my mind, my this mind. conversation
1: is like a lot of what we're talking about has been like typical, like, you know, we all like C sharp. And so we've been doing that for a long time. I don't know that I would say that. I think it's just that we, we agree that we like strongly typed. We do like strongly typed. We and live not in Java. It, <laughs> <not> Java. Um, <laughs> Java is definitely more typing. Poor it, Java. Um. But what I was going to say is, did you guys notice like with this switch from .NET framework, which has been happening for a few years with .NET Core, a lot of the samples or a lot of examples that you'll see people do nowadays is using command line. Back in the day when mm-hmm. people were creating a .NET application, it was open up Visual Studio, go here, do this, this, this. Nowadays, people are like, they're on the command line. They're like .NET Core built. Because they've,
0: they've simplified things so much easier now. And this is why like, Knowing how to use the, the, you know, going beyond the limits of your IDE with, mm-hmm. with Visual Studio, for example, you know, before you had the .NET EXE, right? When you only had MS build, well, you couldn't just necessarily go and, and clone a new repository, do an MS build on that solution or that project file and things compile. Right. Because, oh, you have to know to manually go, one, you need to have NuGet installed, mm-hmm. which isn't going to be installed if you install you know, it's not going to be in a path if you install just Visual the .NET Framework, right. So now you're going to have to go and install NuGet, Then you're going to have to go and uh, NuGet restore everything. And you're going to have to know what repositories or whatever. Like that was kind of a pain. But now with the .NET EXE, you could just be like .NET Nougat restore. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, you don't have to do that. .NET build and it. One of the steps it'll automatically do is a NuGet restore for you. So they greatly simplified it to where the command line is much more your friend. And because they're, you know, trying to go into this world where, like, you could write C-sharp code, for example, that w- runs on Linux, or you could even write the code on Linux. And they kind of are forced to, like... Get away know. from the GUI. Yeah, you have to have these small little tools that are, you know, have... They're sharpened, you know, very well. They do their thing very well, right? hmm So... So let's talk Hang about... Up. Oh.
2: So, I want to bring up one more thing. Um, so, you're going to try doing Code Wars for C in the Code Wars uh, editor and not in Visual Studio or code? Yeah. It's so awkward to me. In like, JavaScript, yes. no problem. I'm used to kind of doing that, like, you know, kind of flying without guardrails or whatever. But trying to do C without all that autocomplete and intelligence just feels totally foreign to me. And it totally makes me realize that I don't know where a lot of packages live. Oh, I do. So, I'd be like, oh, wait, uh, you know, like if system isn't imported. Like why why is it recognized by strings and ints? Like what's the going on here? And the, like the link stuff is like wait is that in like collections or is that in uh, system dot link uh, right. generic? I forget. Right. We use our IDEs a lot as
1: a crutch. It's yeah. a, it's almost like using your phones for storing your contacts nowadays. Back in the day, you used to remember what your buddy's phone number was. I can't tell you what Outlaw or Joe Zack's numbers are if they're not in my contact list. I'm I'm done. Right. <laughs>
0: No, that, that's a that's a great point. It's a great analogy. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I, as he was saying that, I was trying to think of like um, one that, that comes to mind often to me because it's like not one that you would use that often, but the trace trace right line or something mm-hmm. like that. You're like, oh wait, now I got to add easing state before. it. Where is that system one? Is that in, in that system di- dot-
2: diagnostics? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it, it, but you have to think it's not it's not that that built up muscle that you used to have when you typed it all in yourself.
0: Right? Well, and especially you can get like super lazy with Visual Studio oh, where like if you know if you know a class or method name, you can just go ahead and type it and then it'll give you the squiggles and then you just put your car- put the carrot on it and then control period and you'd be like, did you mean to add a using statement for this? And you're like, that's the one I meant to add. Yes, yes, I did. Go ahead and add it. <laughs> Who's the yeah, boss? That's
2: right. You ever do that? And uh, it gives you like two choices, and you're like, I don't, I don't know. Let me try this one. Oh like, yeah, you feel like, point. It'd be like, do you mean system or system dot? I forgot the, what the other one was. And they're like, ah, uh, let's try this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it works. <laughs> we're about to find out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> it's programmed by coincidence. <laughs> I
0: like it. So, all right. So now we're going to talk about the power of plain text. And so the authors made the point of saying that the best way to store knowledge is plain text,
2: and uh, plain text is printable characters can be read and understood directly by a person. And we gotta remember this is pre Markdown.
1: Well, no, 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 no. no. Really? No, yeah, they they start going into this a little bit deeper. But like one of the examples they gave that that we kind of munched to our own is if you see something that says input two forty five equal forty six a b some sort of hex or other garbage. Like that's not readable by a person. Technically it's text, but it's not plain text that a person can understand that tells you nothing about what's going on there.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, 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 they do call out though, that uh, it doesn't mean that the, um, that it can't be unstructured though. So they, they cite the examples of that they give are XML, SGML and HTML, which I'm like, Oh my God. Like I don't, should we be storing our knowledge as html like maybe i don't know but yeah, probably not uh you know i i i added here that like today we would probably like include like the first our go to would probably be json if we were going to do uh this today yeah maybe Yeah, I mean, your mileage would vary. They even brought up uh, Sendmail again because
1: apparently, apparently, one of the authors of this had a really bad experience with Sendmail, which I'm sure anybody that ever used it has, because I've looked at it and it is
0: probably the author of every book on Sendmail had a very bad uh, (laughs) run in with Sendmail, and hence they wrote the book,
1: right? But I mean, they even talked about it before. You got thousands of lines of configuration, but it is human readable. And that's important, right? Because at least at that point, somebody can go back and understand it. Like the knowledge is still
2: there. Yeah, like that. And now uh, that leads us to tip 20, 20, <laughs> <laughs> Keep knowledge in plain text. Yep.
1: So they have, there are drawbacks to storing data as plain text, right? So it can take more storage. I This was probably a bigger deal back then. Well,
0: no, I think it would still be a big deal today, even. I mean, imagine... On a small device, maybe, or something. Small device, but even at scale, though. Like, think about, like, a Google or a Facebook, right? Like, I wonder, you know, do you think that they're storing everything in plain text? No, no, no. But the original code, probably, right? So... But we're talking about data, though. Oh, yeah. Good
1: point. Good point. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, I know, for for instance, like, Kafka... Kafka will con- convert stuff to binary so that it can faster stream and compress and do all that kind of stuff. So,
0: I mean, Postgres has like, you know, we were, we were talking about JSON. Postgres, you know, JSON is a first class citizen in Postgres, but there's also a binary form of it. Yeah. Specifically because it can, BSON is what they call it, right? It's JSON B. <laughs> JSON B. Yeah. Okay. It, it specifically so that it can take, uh, you know, less space and be more performant.
1: Yep. So that makes sense. But there's another downside, too, and this kind of makes sense if you think about it, is it could be more CPU intensive because it's parsing text now. So, okay, I mean, those are downsides, but, you know, depending on the use case, like you said, if it's a cloud compute type thing, you know, maybe maybe those you do have to say, hey, we're not doing this because it just doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, and there, and then there was a, a worry that they put in here about like you know saying like, hey, don't worry that by putting your metadata, for example, in plain text, that you're exposing it to the systems users, right? Because there's they said that like you know it's a that 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 worry is unfounded, right? Like, um, and then I I thought about it. I was like, well, you know, even if you were though, like that might not necessarily be the worst thing because you're kind of you could make the pro, you could turn this into a pro and say like, well now your now your system users can see the things that are customizable right like may you know depending on how you're using it right but um but just because binary formats might obscure the data this is the other point the main their main the author's main point but just because the binary formats might obscure the data don't mistake obscurity for security right because if you know what's
1: actually doing the interpretation of that binary then you could potentially take it over and do what you want with it.
0: Yeah, and and you've heard that you've heard the phrase like security through obscurity It's, right? not,
1: secu- it's not security at yeah, all. I mean,
0: it's not like so. You know, look at like uh, how people would decompile other you know code. Like that was how like uh, internals, for example. Um, you know how how they would get around and figure out like what was what, right? It was like just decompiling code and like how a lot of. Uh, I don't know, like not, I wasn't going to say like hacking, but, um, you know, nefarious, uh, actors might like go and figure out like how, how they can get into, you know, code is to just decompile it to see like what's happening. You know, like as soon as a, as soon as a patch gets released, right. You can decompile it to see like, okay, what changed? Okay. Now I know what the vulnerability was in the previous version. Right. So yeah, it's obscure because it's in a binary format, but that's not security.
1: Hey, I do want to bring up something here, It'd be only because I had a conversation about it this week is we talk it's been a long time ago. I don't remember what our OWASP episode was, but there was this whole notion, and I think it's called an enumeration attack. I can't remember if that was the yeah. actual term for it. But the whole the whole idea that like if you have a web page, let's take it for example just because it's easy to see, and let's say that you have an edit profile page on there. And you click that, that link to go to edit profile and it shows number one up in the top, right? ID equal one. Okay, well, do you know that there's an ID stored behind the scenes that is likely the number one? And so what a hacker would typically try and do is plug in a two up there and see if they could get to that user's profile and so on, right? So what I wanted to point out is like there was this discussion about IDs and well, if you make something a unique identifier, a GUID, a UUID, it's called different things in different languages. It was said that, well, that's just security through obscurity. And I disagree with that because that's not what that is. You're trying to avoid an enumeration attack, which is number based, right? Mm-hmm. And so by going to something that is a string that I forget what the what the um, chances of duplication or even finding one. It's it's crazy low. It's a different thing, right? Like you're not trying to obscure security. You're just basically saying, hey, I don't want to give somebody the ability to just loop through a bunch of numbers and try and hack the site. You know, so keep in mind, like obscurity through security is truly just saying, hey, well, if I convert it to some other type, then people won't be able to see it. But if they can decompile it, then that's you've you've done nothing. You've just made
2: it one layer extra for somebody to have to go decompile it to do it. It's also kind of fun to let that let the users mess with stuff. like uh, I know there, uh, there was a game I was playing in Sunless Seas where you're like a little boat. And uh, the boat's really slow. And so I think it was trying to like make it, things feel like ambient and scary and weighty. And it, uh, it was just too slow for me. So I, I did a little bit of Googling and it turned out there were some uh, files we can go and just change things with, like the boat speed. So it changed it into a very different type of game. It was like a racing game. That why I was able to, to up the speed of the boat a lot. And that changed the game. It was just kind of fun to like, you know, after you do that, of course, you think like, well, what else can I change? And so you can go in there and play around. Now, a lot of older games used to have to have like an any file. Mm-hmm. Remember those like .ini? Uh, i? You can go there and mess with all sorts of stuff. Dude, Windows had a
1: .ini file. Probably still does, <laughs> I'd imagine.
0: It, you yeah, know, maybe there was a, the good thing came up just recently. A friend sent it to me and I, I don't remember what the number was, but he was like, there are so many unique goods that like every person on the planet could have this number to themselves. And it was like, you know, I think it was like a 700 billion number or something like that. Like I forget exactly it, or actually it might've been higher. And so I was trying to find it, see if I could. So you, you brought up the OWASP, that was episode four. We really need to do another yeah. OWASP article. I would love to do another OWASP one, but uh, I was trying to find out like, well, how many unique GUIs are there? And I was hoping to find the thing, the stat that he found. And I did find this one stack overflow answer that quotes Wikipedia and any number where you have to do 10 to a power, you already know it's like stupid big. And like, I can't even fathom what this is going to be. Like my mind, my mind immediately shuts down in terms of like trying to understand the scale of it. Cause it's like, well, you went to a power. So it's crazy. But uh, the quote is, while each generated GUID is not guaranteed to be unique, the total number of unique keys, which is 2 to the 128th, or they also call it as or 3.4 times 10 to the 38th, is so large that the probability of the same number being generated twice is very small. For example, consider the observable universe, which contains about 5 times 10 to the 22 stars. That's way less. Every star could then have 6.8 times 10 to the 15 universally unique GUIDs.
1: Golly, man. So basically, it's super low probability.
0: That yeah, there's gonna... just so many. And well, it actually, it's guess really it. funny. There was like one one guy who says like, because the question was like, is a GUID unique 100% of the time? And like the first comment, the top rated comment, not answer, but comment. The guy says, no, not not a hundred percent just nine nine point nine 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 he's got like 89s <laughs> that's awesome
2: <laughs> oh man this hurts my soul though. because like i know i know i've heard this a million times it's like number of stars in the sky what are the chances of getting some or twice but it still just feels wrong to me like doesn't it like just have you ever heard of the birthday paradox yes Yes. Like It's 365 days in a year, so what are the chances that two people have the same birthday? And so what's crazy is I just looked it up, and uh, as you imagine, like, okay, well, there's one people, or <laughs> there's two people, what are the chances? Like, not very good that they have the same birthday. You go up to 10 people, what are the chances? And there you get about 11% with 10 people that two people have the same birthday. In the same but room, Check this yeah. out. You go up to 70 people. Now, what do you think the odds are? Of two of those people having the same birthday, two or more having the same birthday. 70 people? I am gonna say 95. 99.9. 9. Wow. Yeah. Well, you cross into the 90s, uh, right around 40 people. That's crazy. I know that's I mean, obviously 365 is a lot smaller than you know the number of stars in the sky. But still, it just I don't know, it just hurts my soul
0: to think about it. Well, let's put it this way: when we talk about how many combinations there are for GUIDs. It's a number with twelve commas. <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce the number. Yeah, because once you go past ten
1: commas or nine commas, you're you're already past decas. Well, so. nine commas?
0: Like wait, so hundreds would be the first. Oh wait, no, you're then right. you're into thousands for the second. Yeah. Uh millions, then billions, then trillions. And once you get to trillions, you've only got four a total of four commas. Right. So, no, yeah, you're way past decas. There's still eight more commas to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, so, I just looked up to see if anyone had done like the same calculation for GUIDs. And they said, uh, so there's a whole bunch of math I don't understand. And at the end, it says, uh, we can assign GUIDs to about a million billion things before we have a one in a billion chance of collision. Wow. So, you're still off by a factor
1: of a billion even after the million billion things. Yeah. So a million billion to have a one in a billion chance, which is just crazy. Yeah. So that's not security through obscurity (laughs) is what my whole point was. Right. Like, it's it's a good practice if you're if you're
0: exposing Fine, something. God, you made your point <laughs> <laughs> a, a million billion billion times.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I don't I know still
0: who you're arguing with, but you know I think you won. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think so. Maybe I don't even know that it was an argument. It was just like, um, wait a second, because somebody had said it, it, that's security through obscurity, and I was like, no, it really isn't. Like <laughs> I don't know how to describe it just yet, but it's not. Anyways, well now you do two to one hundred twenty eighth. Jesus, you brute forced that that is large. Oh, oh, this was funny. There was a quote in the book that I loved and they said, "Hey, larger and slower aren't the most frequently requested features from a user." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I love that." And and so that was this whole notion that text is actually bigger and it can be more CPU intensive, right? So you've potentially made it slower. But there are benefits of using the plain text, right? There's this insurance against obsolescence, and I like this at least the way that they termed it. Basically, meaning that hey, the data it will will you had in here. The data is human readable and self-describing. It'll also live, or it will outlive all forms of the application that created it. So, so basically, all
0: other forms of data. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So I had actually. Let me let me state that over to make sure that that point's made. Data that is human readable and self-describing will outlive all other forms of data and applications that created it. Yeah, and I
1: actually duplicated it because I don't think I read that right the first time in my head because I was basically saying, hey, after that, your application is no longer useful, like maybe it doesn't even run on the OS it was originally created for, the knowledge is still there because it was in human readable form.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, like imagine if you had uh, all of your data in like some proprietary format now. Like that's the disadvantage to those proprietary formats, right? Is that, well, I can't, I can't read it, right? Like you have to have that tool to read it, right? But the key here though, is the self-describing part. And, um, you know, this is kind of similar to the example that you stated earlier, but <clears throat> I had this, you know, string here. So if we have a string that says AMZN eight 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 two eight zero four three 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 one, uh, well, I might have said too many threes there, but um, you know that doesn't really help you understand what those are. In that, that is that nothing in that string jumps out to you immediately as a phone number, right? But I just gave you the phone number for Amazon customer support. <laughs> Whereas, if if that string was in like uh, you know think of it in an XML format where you might have a, a phone element that that phone number is in, and it's actually you know parsed with dashes in it then it would immediately jump out to you as, oh, this is a phone number. Like, you don't even need to know anything else about it. You could immediately, boom, phone number. As a person, yeah, right. you could look at it. <laughs> That's the self-describing <clears throat> part here. Yep. There was also, yeah. oh, there was another point here too that we have that should not go un, unsaid, which is that the the binary file means that you have to have an intimate kn- knowledge of the details of that format. So, um, you know, yeah, you might be able to decompile it, right? And you know, you might be able to figure out some way to to go back and read it. But you know, do you know that it's always in that same structure? Like, you might look at like the first, you know, ha- say hundred bytes, and like, okay, I think I have an understanding of it. But then all of a sudden, the second one hundred is in slightly different because there was like maybe an optional parameter that you didn't realize there, like. You know, so you have to have intimate details of that binary format in order to be able to read it. That That's the difference, but, be- you know, so so this is describing the differences between like what's human readable and human understandable. Like going back to that Amazon string example, right? Like, you know, that that's human readable, but is it human understandable?
1: That's very similar to a Venn on a vehicle as well oh yeah that's a great one because Vens, right like usually the first few numbers determine who the 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 manufacturer of the car was mm-hmm. then the next one will tell you the model and all that it's a layman readable. person we have no idea what it is even though that
0: number has meaning in it right like they're actually allocated for different types of things same with mac addresses mac yeah. addresses would fall into the same same thing so they're human readable but they're not human understandable right right
2: You know, it's fun too about human readable. Like, if you have um, corrupted data, so like say you lost every fifth letter in uh, in a text, plain text, like you could still figure out what's going on pretty easily, right? Like, how much does you know twenty percent of those letters mean? But if you lost uh, twenty percent of your binary, you're uh, you know it's essentially encrypted at that point because that gets pretty tough unless you know you know obvious pattern or something to try.
0: Yeah, and I worry that I might have like just munched those two topics a little too close together. So you know when I was talking about like the difference between the human readable because like I jumped immediately I was you know previously talking about the the binary file and then immediately jumped to that so like I hope I didn't confuse that because you know when I was talking about the human readable and the human understandable I was referring back to like that Amazon example as being uh, the plain know, text that shows up there yeah, yeah. or like you know, the VIN that you brought up which was a great example
2: yep so one of the next ten- oh go ahead Joe. Oh, I was just saying, one of the next, uh, things they mentioned is that you can use just about any tool that you can, uh, it, it just any, about, about any tool in the world can manage open, uh, plain text or you can read plain text. And so it's, um, it kind of speaks to that, uh, obsolescence that we mentioned earlier. If you have in some sort of funky, you know, format that's gone out of favor, like XML, then the modern tools may be less able to deal with that. But if you've gotten plain text and it's always going to be readable to you and understandable.
1: Yeah, they basically said it gives you leverage because because everything can use that, then you have tools that will work with the plain text. And and it's a pretty simple thing to follow too because nowadays most of the Linux tools that you look at if it's a shell script, it's readable. Like you can crack that thing open and you'll be able to understand it because it's in it's in pretty easily readable text.
0: They also talk about using plain text to drive your tests though. So like adding, updating, modify, then become trivial. And so I was trying to think like, okay, well, what kind of world are we living in? Like, what kind of world were they describing? Right? Like, because in my mind I'm thinking like, okay, well maybe you're thinking of something like, you know, we've talked about spec flow or cucumber, like right? Where you could write your, your, um, use cases in your tests in like a given when, then type syntax, like uh, given when the customer adds and it clicks on the button to add an item to the shopping cart. The cart is then updated to reflect the quantity and price, you know, or something like that. Right. Um, but this book was written well before cucumber and SpecFlow. flow. So I'm like, Oh, well, how did their test look like back then that they could use plain text? Like what tools were they describing? I couldn't, I didn't recall any. Yeah. I have no idea.
1: <clears throat> I was even thinking that, you know, in we, we talked about a long time ago. Like one of the reasons why you wouldn't use the Microsoft Test Runner, at least back when we talked about this, was you couldn't have multiple inputs, right? Oh yeah. So even maybe it even just means being able to plug in multiple data inputs right above your test so that they can be, you know, easily understood there. So now we're calling code as plain text then? Maybe yeah. If it, as long as it's is it's easily understandable, right, for
2: where it lives. Hmm. So I don't know. Yeah, I was curious too on that one. It kind of speaks back to DSLs a little bit where uh, I like the idea of like you writing the text in like something that's human readable and keeping that out of code. So like, yeah, sure. You know, like a C file, like a C code file is going to be human readable and understandable to programmers, but not. it's not as easy to read and understand and modify as plain text if you're able to kind of extract, extract that stuff to a more specific language.
0: Yeah. So they also, you know, go on to like the advantages of using plain text as your standard. And uh, I want to highlight that word, you know, using plain text as your standard across heterogeneous environments can outweigh all of the drawbacks. And when I read that part, I thought like, okay, well, that makes sense. Because if you think about like how wildly popular JSON has become for exactly this thing, right? Like our front end is sending back requ- JSON requests back to the back end. Or the backend is responding back, you know, to the front end with it. I mean, heck, we even just mentioned Postgres being able to, you know, send and receive JSON as a first-class citizen. So now your middle tier can go back to your database with JSON to and from, right? So like that's all three layers, you know, of of a typical application, and not to mention like any like little ancillary parts that could uh, be used, or even using JSON as configuration, right?
1: Nope. You know, it's funny. I think the reason why JSON has gotten such popular adoption first was probably JavaScript, just, just straight up, right? But the other thing, too, is just the fact that XML was extremely verbose. Mm-hmm. And and this was a way of sort of solving both problems of the storage size, but still being able to get the same outcome. So, you could have these nested elements without having tags on both sides of it. And, and I think that was really like, hey – we already allow for this JavaScript notation in our programs. Why not just turn this into a data format? Like I would be surprised if that's not what kind of led to the, to the popularity of this thing.
0: Ver- verbose. And I would add, it could be unforgiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that was also one of the good things about XML too, is you had these yeah. schemas, right? It, it, which I think there's now these JSON schemas as well. I just don't know that they're as widely adopted as what like XSDs used to be.
2: So,
0: yeah, I don't like YAML. The <laughs> world How do you guys feel about YAML. We we just need to live in a we just need to accept that we as a as a society don't want rules. <laughs> so stop trying to like put your XML schemas on us or your J trying to like start a JSON schema because we just don't want it. We'll just come out with something different that doesn't have all of that baggage. So your comment, Joe,
1: is I think and I don't know where I stand on this. I really don't, but YAML it's funny. So I've been, I've been deep diving Kubernetes recently and Kubernetes actually supports both YAML and JSON, but they recommend using YAML because it's easier to read and understand. Yeah. It's less punctuation. Yeah. There's not all these, these curly braces and brackets and everything everywhere. It's just, Hey, this is the configuration. So, I'm torn on it, man. Like I kind of like it cause it sort of reads like a book, mm-hmm. but on the flip side, it really irritates me when I just didn't have a space in there where I needed a space. Right. Like, cause usually it's not clear to you or it's not yep. that obvious. So whereas it would have been if it was all braced out, but then you have just a very noisy page for what can already be a really long YAML file. Like basically just think about you have your, your nice YAML file, you're going to double it in size by the time yeah. you wrap all those curly braces and everything around every –
2: so I don't know. I just how many times have I had a mistake because I pasted something in and it was at the wrong level of indentation? Right. You know, that's what kills me, and I, Python drives me nuts for that same reason. <laughs> it's just easy to make mistakes like that. And, like, with Jason, I'm so used to be able to collapse stuff and expand stuff as I want, so I, I feel like uh, YAML, I get it. Like, I get why people like it better, but Jason's
0: kind of like that that nice in-between between, like, readable and also usable So, so in other words, any kind of um, syntax that is based on whitespace, really, is what you're you're anti. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Uh,
2: There's things I really like about Python, but it's always been irritating to me the whole whitespace thing. Yeah, I'm on the fence. Like,
1: I I don't know. Like, there's some things in YAML that that just aren't obvious. Like, if you have a collection of things, you put a dash in front of it. I never knew what that meant. (laughs) <laughs> like, why did they put a minus here and they didn't put one over here? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's
0: it's an array of data, which Thanks for making that obvious to the rest of us. Right? So yeah, I didn't know that.
1: It, see, there you go. So it, it's just I don't know, but it, I guess in fairness, that's kind of what you hit when you deal with any kind of language or or structured data. Like you've got to learn the rules of it. So, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm not as used to it that I, that I have these weird feelings about it, but I don't know. It's useful. It is easier to read. And then, and then usually I think Joe, you take these because these are some of your favorite parts of
2: them. So you want to hit this one? Yeah. So the challenge here is to design an address book format using a binary representation and then translate it to XML. Then in the subsequent version, add a variable length field for directions.
1: They basically, uh, w- they basically wanted you to find out how difficult it was to do things in
0: binary and then convert yeah. it to a human readable type. Well, and the versioning and extensibility. Uh, yeah. The so versioning. so so that subsequent version is like, that's a key word there. Because right? you can't diff it. Yeah. In a meaningful way.
2: Yeah. And then, uh, the, so that was like less of a challenge and more of a like a homework assignment and uh, <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't, in fact, I, I didn't read the sections at all this time. Sorry.
1: <laughs> hey, why are you gonna come out and say
2: that <laughs> it was hot man i had no interest for four days so i barely did anything for four days because yeah, it was it, miserable where it was already 100 degrees where he lives yeah it was super hot super hot and like, we even had spot anyway it was very hot even with uh the things we did to make it not be so hot this episode
1: is brought to you by clubhouse Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products their customers love. While designed to be developer first, the UI is simple and
2: intuitive enough for all teams to enjoy using. And Clubhouse is truly built for developers by developers. You can tell because they've done things like sprinkle git tips throughout the UI,
0: and they make a big point to highlight open source projects that integrate with them. And they're always adding new features. Like just recently, they added the new Android app for Clubhouse where you can view spaces, dive into your stories, track your epics, and see your activity all from your favorite Android device. And Clubhouse recently launched the Clubhouse community where you can connect with other
2: software engineers and product managers using Clubhouse. With a simple API and robust
1: set of integrations... Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with tools you already use every day, like Slack or GitHub, for example. Getting out of your way so you can focus on delivering quality
2: software on time. Sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io slash codingblocks. Again, that's clubhouse.io slash codingblocks. Get your first two months free and see why companies like Elastic, Full Story, and LaunchDarkly like Clubhouse. All right.
1: So now it's that time of the show where we ask you, if you haven't already and and you've been enjoying the show, please do take the time to go up and leave us a review. We've got a nice little page set up that makes it easy for you. If you head to codingblocks.net slash review, we have links there for Stitcher where you don't have to have an account or iTunes where I think you do have to have an account and which that we may be changing this guys. Isn't iTunes iTunes going away
0: away? pretty soon? Yeah. But I mean, they're not getting rid of podcast podcasts connect thing though oh not no they're kind of
2: splitting it up though right so there's like music and then podcasts oh you mean like where, changing the where it's gonna go yeah so the links yeah
0: oh okay i see where you're going yeah,
1: that's interesting but at any rate yeah so for those that have left a review like seriously we really appreciate it it's it's awesome to get the feedback and and read all those things and we take
0: notes of them all and dang it apple now we're gonna have to like rewrite our whole script here we can't say like find us on itunes
1: well it looks like outlaws (laughs) gonna go back and edit 109 episodes that's Ah, good so. (laughs) So, so yeah no seriously thank you for taking the time to do it and if and if it sticks in your mind please take the time to do it if you haven't already and and share us with a friend right like tell tell a fellow developer like, hey, go check this out. You know, I was I learned something here. Or, or maybe they made me
0: laugh. I don't know. Whatever. I like how you like, said a fellow developer. Like, <laughs> I mean, you can tell your mom, but that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, she, she's not going to care so much. <laughs> well, she might. She might write code. She might. She might. So, yeah. Thank you. All right. So, with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says... All right. So back in episode 107, we asked, what is your preferred type of language to spend most of your day in? And your choices were dynamically typed languages like JavaScript or Python. I can't be bothered to compile. I catch my errors at runtime. Or statically typed languages like Java, C or C Sharp. I'd like to say that my errors are caught at compile time, but sadly, not always. Or functional languages like Haskell or F Sharp. Here's a quarter, kid. Get a real programming language. Or lastly, SQL. If you're not working in sets, you're wasting your time with one-offs. All right. So, Alan, I think it's your turn to go first. So, uh-huh. what's your choice? <laughs> <laughs> man I'm trying to think about our audience
1: and so when we started off the show we called it dot net for a reason that's changed over the years mm-hmm. but I'm going to guess that most of our folks are probably strongly typed people that want that statically you know compiled stuff so I'm going to say statically typed and I'll go with 40% okay
0: Forty percent.
1: I think I like live in the first world though. <laughs> Dynamic and yeah, I catch my errors at runtime. But
2: uh yeah, I'm gonna say static as well for the 41%. Oh, you suck, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's your turn to lose this time. It's
1: the curse of John lives on. You know what's gonna happen?
0: We're both gonna lose. Watch this. Yeah. All right. So uh both of you pick statically typed languages, Alan at 40%, Joe at 41%. And the answer is statically typed languages yes. for the win. At you're both way off, like way really low. <laughs> or way high. Seventy-one and a half percent. <laughs>
2: Whoa! <laughs> wow. of
0: of the of those that responded picked statically typed. Wow, we should have put TypeScript in here too, just to make people conflicted about whether <laughs> that was really a thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but I do agree though that like. Part you know, out to a larger audience, though, uh, you know, like, us, if this was a Stack Overflow thing, not, you know, us, then it might have different results, right? Like, I think dynamically would start rising up the charts there. The rise of Python is insane. Right. Right? Huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was actually an article I was just reading the other day on that from, like, a Stack Overflow or something like that. I can't remember the name of the article, but yeah. So, I mean, like, languages like JavaScript and Python are just, well... Yeah, Python's still growing wildly in popularity, but JavaScript has definitely uh, made a name for itself in like the last, let's say, 10 years, right, where it's grown wildly in popularity. So clearly, there's some love for the dynamic languages. You know what's oh, We funny? didn't say
2: preferred. Oh, ah,
0: That's true. I don't know, man. I, I a lot of people th- like the flexibility of not being tied exactly. down to that, right? I
1: think that was the, the huge popularity bump for Ruby for a long time, right? Like, just that...
0: Even the fact that in, like, a lot of these languages, the compiling happens at the time. It's, like, just in time compiled when you right. go to execute it. So there is no, like, okay, let me write my code. Now let me compile. Now let me run it. Instead, it's let me write it. Let me run it. And did it, did it break? I don't know. Right? Did yeah. it work?
1: Yeah. It's. I, I think that Node.js had a lot to do with JavaScript becoming as ubiquitous as it has over time. Right? Like, before that, it was like, oh, it's browser stuff. After that, it was like, oh, this can run everything, right?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. No, But, I mean, do you... Okay, let's put on our prediction hats here. Do you, in, say, the next 10 years, predict that JavaScript will fall from grace due to technologies like WebAssembly? No.
2: Yeah, I'm all in on JS. That's where my, my bet is. I think that what we'll see...
1: Is kind of the same thing as today. Like people want that bare metal speed, but they don't want to have to write in that bare metal language. So I think what we'll see is we'll see a lot more of these transpilers that take your your JS code, kind of like what we saw with with native stuff now, right? Like you've got things like PhoneGap, and you've got things like you know all the Corona SDKs and all that, where you can write it in the language that you know and love. And it gets turned into the into the bare metal bits. I think that's what we're going to see in the WebAssembly world.
0: That's exactly saying then that you wouldn't write it in JavaScript.
1: No, I'm saying you would write it in JavaScript and there'd be a transpiler to turn it into WebAssembly for you.
0: Well, then what's the point? The whole point is to write it in C and have that transpiled into WebAssembly so that it can run in your browser in a safe version of JavaScript. Because right? WebAssembly is a scaled down, is like the the parts of JavaScript that are, you know, I don't know. Well it's not, not interpreted
1: it anymore though. But like so Blazor, for instance, right? Blazor you write it in C sharp and there's a transpiler that, that turns it or mono basically puts it into C and then that gets pushed over into WebAssembly. I think you'll see more of those those conversion tools so that people can work in the language that they're comfortable with. I think that's what'll be happening.
0: I don't know, man. Like uh, <clears throat> I think I think WebAssembly is when we, it hasn't taken off yet. Right in at least in my opinion. But I think when it does, it's going to be huge. I, I think so. The ability to reuse the exact same code on the front end and the back end, not a rewrite. Because like today, if you wanted to have some kind of like, I don't know, not an authentication scheme, but uh, let's say let's say okay, how about this? Like if you wanted to, if you wanted to do credit card validation, mm-hmm. right? Well, today you'd have you could do that in your middle tier, be it Java or C Sharp or whatever. But if you wanted to have some form of that also in the client here, you'd have to rewrite that in JavaScript to do it on the front end, right? But with something like WebAssembly, you have the one bit of code to rule them all that could be used in both places, right? I think that some I think that that kind of capability, the capability of being able to reuse your code across. Those environments, that's going to be huge, man. I, I agree. It's gonna, you're going to crush about, it, I
1: think. You're talking about a DLL type thing, though. That yeah. that currently, so what I'm saying is, I think that you'll write the code in whatever language you want—JavaScript, C sharp, something like that. It'll get compiled to that DLL through some sort of cross transpilation or whatever, and then you could still share it across, right? Like, I think that's where we're going to live because I don't think, I I don't think that people love the idea. of especially people who've never done it, love the idea of going from something like a C sharp or a Java to a world of C plus plus where you're managing memory and that kind of stuff. Like it, it's, it's a whole nother set of things that, that you have to worry about. And I don't think people want to go well, down. You that might not, it
0: might not be, it, it might not be C or C plus plus, right? Because the managed memory, like maybe it it stays in languages like uh, C sharp or Java where you know, memory management is handled for you, right? Like you're not, you're not. It's not like a Objective C where you're having to like dereference right things, you know.
1: But that's what I'm saying. I think I think that things will transpile or compile down to the to the the bits that WebAssembly will work with. I don't know that people are going to have a specific language. I don't know. What about you, Joe?
2: Your thoughts? Uh, you could do code that runs on server and client right now with JavaScript.
0: And if I haven't seen huge
2: Node. benefits from that. You know, it's yeah, with Node, like, it's been nice, and it's, there's been some cool things, especially with the server-side rendering that's kind of come around because of that, but it hasn't been, like, a huge panacea that I think some people thought it would be when, like, Node first started getting popular. That was a major selling point. But I do think there's going to be a lot of cool stuff that comes along with WebAssembly. I just, uh, it seems like there's so much inertia behind JavaScript, and so people learning to code right now, they're probably starting with JavaScript. All the bootcamps are organized around JavaScript, and so that stuff tends to stick around for a long time. So I don't know. That's where my, that's where my dev dollars are.
0: Yeah, I think part of that might be though that just like if you weren't already willing to take on Node, you know, i.e. Uh, JavaScript as your your engine on the server side, then it was our, it was kind of like a non-starter. So maybe that's why some of that reuse that you were describing there, Joe didn't take off. You know what I'm saying? Because if you're like, no, 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 we're in Microsoft shop, you know, we're, we're on IIS, then it, that's a non-starter for you. Right. But you could still be on IIS and serve up WebAssembly, and it's the same code. Right. Yeah. So I, I kind of view it as, as, a little different, but there's still stuff you can't do. Like you can't access files, and
2: I don't know how permissions work. So there's still a lot of stuff to figure out with WebAssembly, and I know they're doing amazing things with it. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. But I just don't know that it's going to change.
0: You have to specify them up front.
2: Okay, so you do right. have to change your code. Then you can't just take existing code as is and just drop it over there. There's going to be specific rules around how you have to kind of do this stuff.
0: Which is fine. I mean, there's a lot of stuff still being sorted out. To your point, yeah? right? Yeah. Especially around security and being able to run this thing. But like, they're they're working on being able to use it outside of the browser, though, too. Like, you know, they're looking at this this security paradigm that they're that's happening around WebAssembly as like, oh, this would be cool for anything, right? The ability to just trust any code is executable without like fear that it's going to mess up mess up your. Uh, your system if it can be right? sandboxed in a yeah. particular way yeah so i like that's a kind of a neat model like you know how could that be applied to everything so i don't know man uh, uh I, i kind of think that uh you know i'm not saying i'm not saying it i'm look i'm not saying i, I wish bad things to javascript don't <laughs> don't take this the wrong way but you know 10 15 years you know that that's a long time for it to last Man, yep. I can't even
1: imagine what technology is going to be in ten or fifteen years. It's 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 hard for me to
2: fathom that. Yeah, I, I do think that. Like for any new language to come along and kind of take the throne, I think it's got to be ten times better than JavaScript. And that's like that's Python. Big... <laughs> it's, it's definitely not Python. <laughs> <laughs> what i think i think sean might fight you for that one there joe i know i just don't like some Py- I, I don't like the the linuxy naming conventions in python so things like str for string i don't
0: i don't like that i, I
2: liked ruby better
0: i know i kind of lost that fight but here's the here's the i found the uh the blog article i was talking about it's it's a couple years old though but it's uh the incredible growth of python and it's a stack overflow article and you know, they're, they're talking about like just how it's exploded and they're showing like the trend graphs. Here, let me let me share this link with you guys. Yeah, you uh, have to put it
1: in the show notes here. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there it is. But, you know, and it's got like the projection of the growth and it's comparing like, you know, here's the here's the projection for like other languages, like a C++, for example. And, you know, there's like a marginal room of, you know, plus or minus, you know, like where it could go, Right. But for Python, it's like the projection is huge because it's either mm-hmm. it's going to continue wildly to wildly be popular or it's going to like stabilize or something, you know. So what is it about Python that like
2: make that makes it better than JavaScript? Is it is it the libraries? Because I know for machine learning, it's really popular and stuff like that. But a lot of that is kind of like the library support and how they deal with numbers, I guess. Is
0: that the main selling point? Uh, I mean, that's definitely a big a big part of it. Um you know, especially from like a data science kind of point of view, right? Uh, you know, things that are happening down in, you know, like they're basically like C code that's happening really fast for you in, in Python. But I think it's also just the flexibility of it. Like in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, like to me, Python is, it's kind of loosey goosey, like JavaScript is right. Which is the thing that we, we kind of like about it, right? Like you can just like linear, let me get my thought out, right. Without being, bogged down in like oh i forgot you know i need the curly braces here and this should be a public private or you know public static or whatever you know kind of thing so i know
1: sean was selling me on it by basically saying that you don't have to write much code to make a lot happen yeah and that was one of his big things right like when he was trying to convince me that i need to go learn it which i'm not saying that i don't but it, it was like, you know, how am I going to parse my time out? But but that was his big thing is like, look at how much code it takes to use the camera on your computer. And it was like four lines of
0: code, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely read lots of statements like that where it's like thousands of lines to do something in another language. But in Python, it's like, here's five lines of code. Have a good day. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to today's survey, which is what is your structured text format of choice? We here at Coding Blocks ask the hard-hitting questions. (laughs) That's right. So your choices are XML, JSON, Joe's favorite YAML, Mm -hmm. or the old-school gangsta of all structured text formats, CSV.
1: And there's so many more. Yeah. But I tried to think of the ones that are probably still used the most today.
0: Yeah, I think I, I was trying to think that too, because I was like, there definitely are a lot of other, like, I mean, the authors mentioned like SGML and HTML and I'm like, I'm not going to put those down. No, because they're not, they're not, th- those are,
1: speci- uh, SGML is probably more open, but HTML was very specific use,
0: right? Like, right. So, yeah. Well, I mean, not, it doesn't have to be, but it is. But it let is. Let me ask you this though. Because this is where I kind of like took issue with the authors mentioning that one though. Because if, if I, let's say we were working on some code together and I'm like, hey, I'm going to pass you some code and here it is. And I gave it to you as JSON, right? And let's say, let's say it represented um, for ease, let's just say it represented an e commerce order, right? So it was like all of the data for that in JSON. Like you would think nothing of it, right? If I handed you that same thing in XML, right? And it's like, hey, here's the, here it is, it's structured in XML. Right, you could see the the order details. You know how many, the quantity, the price, the unit price, the total price, subtotal, tax, whatever. Right, like you would you would love that. Like you, well, no, let me rephrase that. You wouldn't love it as much as you loved the uh, JSON, but you would be okay with it. You'd hate me a little bit. It's like, a data structure, right? right? If I gave you that same thing as HTML, it was like here's the heading, order number one two three. Or here's the heading, here's a head and here's the title, order one, two, three. Here's the body of the order, right? You might might get violent with me. I might not be able to make it to work the next day, right? So that's why I was thinking like, that's a crazy one.
1: No, it's not a data interchange format. That's not what that thing is. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure
2: and applications. Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, and application performance monitoring and log management in one tightly integrated platform so you can get end-to-end
0: visibility quickly. Visualize key metrics, set alerts to identify anomalies, and collaborate with your team to troubleshoot and fix issues fast.
2: Try it yourself today by starting a free 14-day trial and also receive a free Datadog t-shirt when you create your first dashboard. Head to
1: www.datadog.com slash codingblocks to see how Datadog can provide real-time visibility into your application. Again, that's www.datadog.com slash codingblocks to sign up today.
2: So next up is shell games. So if you do all of your work using UIs, then you're not taking full exam. Uh, Oh my gosh. Sorry. Too early. (laughs) very time sensitive it's either too uh, early or it's too late yes we yeah. can't we can't win yep can't win uh shell games <laughs> so if you do all of your work using uis and you're not taking full advantage of the capabilities of your system and this is something we've mentioned a few times uh i'm definitely a big fan of clis and it seems like they've gone really uh popular in the last couple of years winch and.net i think kind of that some of that kind of comes from uh, npm growing in popularity and people were able to do a lot of stuff with things like Yeoman and create React app and NPM install whatever I think net has kind of uh, learned a lot of those lessons and because you're able to script stuff because it's easy to get people to kind of run stuff even like brew for for Mac has been really popular. So it's kind of funny to see like CLI is kind of gaining popularity over the last 10 years.
0: Well even kind of going back to the example that uh, I think Alan mentioned earlier with if you only know how to use git via Visual Studio, right? like there's a truckload of functionality that Git has that Visual Studio only scrapes the surface of what Git can do, mm-hmm. right? Um, So yeah, you're, you're definitely not taking full advantage of the capabilities of Git if you only know how to use it through your IDE. Yeah. yeah, and UIs
2: are kind of inherently less flexible because you kind of have to make some assumptions about how people want to work and their workflows. I'm sure you've seen things where like you want to add something new or change something new in your ID, and it's like, Okay, go over to this menu, do this setting, and then go over to this menu and do this setting, and then go over here. And if that's on a CLI, that might be something you're able to do in like you know one kind of text config change or one kind of command. But because it's in the UI and because people didn't anticipate you doing things in that order or doing that thing, now you've got to kind of hop around and do this weird disconnected kind of thing that basically re- requires a tutorial. Right. And and they say here
1: the advantage of a UI is that they're WYSIWYG, right? What you see is what you get. The problem is, it's not just that; it's also what you see is all that you get.
2: I
0: yeah. loved this call out when they when they said that. I was like, oh man, I never have considered it that way. But they are so they like hit the nail on the head, so spot on. It's so correct that like, yeah, that's that's all the functionality you get, right? And in, like in hindsight, to say it, it's like, oh, well, of course that may, that's dumb. Of course it is. But you don't think about it in that regard. You know what's so funny? I remember years ago, like I was very much a GUI guy. Like,
1: no question. Like one of the things that drew me to Mac for like hosting sites and stuff back in the day is they had a nice GUI wrapped around their server. And that was one you of the things a Mac server? Uh, back in the day. Yeah. Oh um, hold
0: on. Wait, nobody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but it was one of those things, right? Like it ran Apache, but they had a nice UI wrapped around it. And I was like, hey, that makes sense. Like I was used to IIS, which also had a UI wrapped around it, which all made sense to me. And then when I started going over into the Linux world, I was like, what is all this garbage which, with Apache config files? Like why why are people working in the stone age over here, right? And it wasn't until later And it's this next thing that I wrote in here to where it all started to become clear to me is this thing of being able to pipe together commands in the command line, right? Like this whole thing of like doing a git commit or something like that. Okay. Sure. If you have a very standard workflow, you could use visual studio, right? And I think it was actually Joe that had brought that up earlier where everybody goes in there and uses the visual studio stuff. And it's like, okay, fine. I get it. But what if you need to do multiple things at once, right? You can't do that. Like, one of my favorite things to do in in a Linux command line is to grep something. So if I want to list out all the files, like, and I do this a lot with Docker nowadays, right? Like, I'll look through the log files. What broke? So I'm going to say, hey, spit out all the logs. But if, if they give me back all the logs, then I'm going to get lost in this hill of data that I'm not going to be able to make sense of, right? So I'll say, hey, show me all the logs, but then pipe it to another output and then grep that and find me everything where I find the uppercase word error, right? So now I've run two commands directly together where in the past I would have basically said, all right, dump all the logs out to a file. Let me open it up in an IDE, hoping it doesn't crash because it's going to be freaking 25 megs, but right. Something like that. And then and then searching for the word error and telling it, oh, click that thing that makes it case sensitive, right? Because I need to find it that way.
0: I could do all that in one line with very little effort, right? In fact, and, you could see it in real time, which is a tail minus F on that. A tail grip, on it, yes. As the input to that grep.
1: And so that's that's the kind of stuff that even when I learned command line type stuff in various different environments, until somebody had said something used the pipe, I was like, what is this? Wait, hold hold the presses. What do you mean pipe? And then and then and then I started really understanding like, what? It, this is amazing, right? Like I can take this and I can create these chaining of operations yeah. in a single line that will do stuff that would have taken me twenty minutes to
0: cobble together using GUIs. Yep. I've always wished that like, I realized that Microsoft's trying to do their own thing with PowerShell, for example, and. You know, but even before PowerShell, like, before you had PowerShell and you were just stuck with command prompt, I always wish, like, well, can't you just, like, say, okay, fine, we lost this battle and just make all of the Unix commands the same? Like, let's just let's just have one set of commands to work with and be done. Right. Like, wouldn't that be an amazing world?
2: Nobody. Uh, I guess so, but I mean, that's kind of there's stuff I don't like about batch. Like it's all string based. Okay, we're and done with this conversation and <laughs> yeah. PowerShell. Yeah. It's all, it, it's actually object based. So you can actually like see properties. It's so much easier to, to link things together. I know PowerShell is a, you know, a bold new statement. That's kind of different and it's nice to be able to run stuff, but I feel like with um, the, Windows subsystem especially with version two that's coming out. I I'm okay with those being different because now I can do all my Linux stuff and I can also do my PowerShell stuff.
1: Yeah. I, I will say PowerShell's grown on me over time. Yeah. And it's funny, I would have only ever transitioned to messing with PowerShell because I learned the Linux stuff in the first place. When I realized how powerful Linux was in its shell scripting, and you go over to the command prompt and you're like, really? I can't do anything here.
0: But then you find out about this other tool in Windows called PowerShell, and you're like, oh, <laughs> but there was things. I mean, like let's not let's not beat on command prompt too much. I mean, you it was could terrible do you could pipe things from one to another with command prompt, but it definitely wasn't like I. I I'm still will forever be a Bash fan. Like that's definitely my favorite shell of choice and it has been for a long time. Right. Even though I do love PowerShell, I mean PowerShell is awesome. To to Joe's points but it's it would be cool if there was just like one,
1: but I mean, to the point that, that I think Joe made a minute ago is you have to know the use cases, right? Like if you're creating a GUI, you're creating a GUI for the vast majority of people that are going to use this a particular way. Right. But if you are somebody that needs something on top of it, the easiest way is to go to the command line because you have way more functionality exposed to you. And, the part that you learn later on, after you start developing for a long time, is most everything that you're using that is driven with a GUI is calling those command lines behind the scenes. Oh yeah, right. So that that's the thing. Like once once that hits you, you're like, oh wait a second, what am I missing?
0: A lot of things will even let you watch it. Like even mm-hmm. you know, like if you talk about your IDEs, for example, um, you know, IntelliJ, Visual Studio, uh, you know, and you do a compile. Or if you do a git command, like you can see the actual commands that it's doing. You know, even if something is as, you know, maybe mundane as like adding a NuGet package to your uh, your project, right? You can actually see the commands that are being executed. Yep.
1: It's one of the ways to learn Docker Compose. No lie. You could actually add a Docker, uh, you know, project and it would show you how it was appending with the dash S to bring all the Docker Compose files together and everything else. And I was like, Oh, so they're not doing any magic. They're just calling the same CLI I've got access to. Well, let me do
2: that. Right. right? Yeah. And, you know, speaking of terminals, the the Windows terminal just came out. The new one in Preview. It's in the Microsoft Store. I've been trying to install it just now, but I just can't get it installed. It keeps hanging on me, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Looking forward to it. I've
1: heard. I think Joe was the one who told me that it was going to replace my commander. We'll, We'll see about that.
2: Yeah, that's the theory. It's got tabs. It's got a lot of the same stuff.
0: Let's put a pin in that conversation because I got some thoughts on that because we're definitely going to come up to that one, uh, I believe, somewhere in here. Uh, but well, I do want to say that, like, if we just move on, that they call out that programming... No, programmatic. <laughs> Thanks, <Joe>. Programming. <laughs> Pragma- pragmatic, no, pragmatic programmers don't just write code or documentation or automate the build. We do all of it. And so, you know, any one tool scope is usually going to be limited to how uh, it's expected to be used, which is the point that you just made, Alan, right? So, you know, for example, Notepad.exe, for example, like it's not expected to be used to write code. You can, but it's not expected. And I've actually heard people defend it for writing code, like at, at lightning talks, at meetups and everything. And I'm like, you sir are crazy. I can't, I can't.
1: Get off the stage. <laughs> I you know, only get one mind. undo. I can't work like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, no, that's
0: that's just that's There's, sadistic, man. <laughs> there, yeah. There's an analogy though that that the authors make later in the in the book where they refer to uh, using notepad as an IDE, like using a teaspoon as a shovel. Yeah. I,
1: I
2: can one hundred percent agree with that. <laughs> So, yeah, I really would like to explore more uh, kind of making extensions and stuff. Um, I think it'd be really cool. I don't know why I've always kind of shied away from that, but I think that'd be a neat thing to get into. Like, even if it's just like making work custom stuff like for the com that you do and getting that in there as a, as a plugin, I think that'd just be neat.
0: You know, I'm looking through and I don't actually have the thing that I was going to comment on. So like, let's go ahead and hit on that thing now because you were talking about like the Windows Terminal and it replacing Commander. So... Uh, one of the things that they had talked about in this, in this chapter, or at least I thought it was in this chapter, um, was that, you know, you should try to get into the habit of, um, you know, learn, learn a shell and learn it well. And if you have to go to a different environment for whatever reason, see if you can bring that shell with you. Right. So like, for example, if you, if your shell of choice was the corn shell, well, you know, God help you. Uh, you know. <laughs> Bless you. Uh, but, you know, then when you go to, you know, from your Mac where you're using that and you then have to go to a Linux environment, you know, bring it with you, right? Like that way, that way you already have some comfort in it, right? Like you already kind of know, know it, right? Um, and for ever now, for for a very long time, I'm trying, I can't actually remember for how long, but because I can't remember a time without it, I've always brought on some kind of a bash shell to Windows and forever in a day, that used to be SigWin, right? Mm-hmm. That used to be the way of choice of like, you know, being able to have a Windows environment, but a Bash shell to work in, right? And nowadays, you don't even have to do that. Like for a while, Git Bash was, was good enough. It, it did everything. Then Conemu brought that in with Git Bash brought into it. And then Commander uh, wraps all of that together now to make it even easier. So... I don't know, man. You're going to have a hard time replacing that. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying Windows Terminal has got a tough road ahead of it. It, it does. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm not saying it can't be awesome. It's got some heavy competition. But yeah.
2: You know, this PowerShell Core, PWSH. I, I mean,
1: I will say, like, one of the reasons why you don't bring them along is, I mean, I know all three of us have been like, you know, you're in a production environment and they're like, you will not install new tools on this, right? Yeah. Like, I don't care what you got to do to figure out what you need to figure out, but you're going to do it without installing anything. And that's when something like PowerShell, if you're in a Windows environment, like learn the equivalents uh, because uh, like one, one that comes up all the time is, hey, the the system's not able to talk to something else. And so did you open the port? Is the port open? Well, the way that you do it in Bash is easy. Telnet to it, right? Done. Telnet's not installed on, on a Windows server by default, but there are ways to do that in PowerShell to where you can basically do the object approach, right? Where it goes into the system and says, hey, try and connect to this socket, right? And And so if you can't take your shell everywhere, Be aware, think, at least be aware that typically there is a way to do it from one to another, right? So maybe Google the equivalent of, hey, what's the equivalent of Telnet and PowerShell? Or what's the equivalent of PowerShell's version of this and and SSH?
0: Before, like, what's the equivalent of Curl?
1: Oh, yeah. Curl's a big one.
0: Yeah. So invoke web request.
1: Yep. Know about the Know that you can Google, hey, what's the equivalent of this? And you'll find all
2: kinds of cool stuff out there. You know, now you can curl from DOS. Really? So if you open up PowerShell, what you do is you do CMD first. <laughs> that opens up that, and then you can curl. And yeah, it's it's like actual curl. It's not alias to the PowerShell thing. It's like actual curl with dash K and dash I and all the stuff that you know and love. Oh, that's cool. I
1: didn't know that because used to, it was an alias, and it didn't support anything. And everything yep. you tried would break.
2: Yeah, and I love the PowerShell aliases for things like cat and some of the other stuff that I I would just echo that I would do all the time, and it was great. But once you need to start passing flags, then it fell apart. Yeah, yeah. like LS. LS was one of them. SSH2, by the way, is in CMD. You can SSH to servers. hmm. That's weird to me.
0: So, you know, while we're on the topic of learning the shell, the advantage of learning, and and we've talked about this in past episodes too, where we didn't refer to it as the shell, but like learning the the terminal or the command prompt. But the the advantage of learning this is though is that like these commands may seem obscure and terse in the beginning, but they are powerful and concise. So, you know, you can do a lot with a little bit of effort. And and to me, most importantly, is that you you can script it. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that to me is like, you know, huge. They didn't really call that out, but like knowing that you could then like write a script that can be that's reproducible that, you know, might be able to do for like a, b- might work for your build server or whatever. Right. But you know, knowing these things can make you far more efficient. So, you know, we, we mentioned the Git example before, um, you know, but at the time when I, when I wrote this note down, I came at it from a different point of view where it wasn't from visual studio, but you know, I think I've actually mentioned this in the past when, when we've talked about Git, like I, I took it upon myself to, to really you know, learn the commands for Git instead of you relying on a UI because I wanted to be able to work cross platform. So if you only knew how to use Git through some UI on windows and that UI is only available to windows. And now suddenly you find yourself in a UNIX environment or a Linux environment. Like, well, what do you do? Right. And the thing is, it's usually
1: pretty simple. Yeah. But you didn't take time to learn it. So now you're just stuck.
0: Yeah. in in. When you say simple, I, so Git itself is not simple, but right. the one thing that you might need to do is because it's such a mundane task that we do regularly, that's why we call it simple. Right. So it's like, you're expected to know how to do that. So what do you mean you can't do that just because you're on Linux? Right. right? Like, that's not a valid kind of... Uh, you know, excuse there.
1: Like a git clone or a git pull, right? Like those those are things that are exposed in the UI that's really easy, but they're also pretty easy on the command line. Yeah. But if you've never done it, then and and a lot of people like going back to the point, a lot of people don't even realize that a lot of these GUIs are backed by those same shell calls, right? That's what's happening. They're being they're being shelled out from the UI. So yeah. you know super important to know about that. Uh what else do we have? So yeah, the, what you said a second ago is the ability to create these scripts. So so, you know, going back to what I mentioned before about like maybe I'm I'm dumping out the logs from from all my docker containers in some sort of compose and and I need to search for errors. Well, I know that I can type out that command and and it's not short. I can save that thing out to an sh or to a ps1 or or whatever. And then and then I don't hate, I don't even have to type that anymore. I can just type in you know, find errors or find errors one or find errors right? Like that's really easy and repeatable.
0: Okay, so I I can't be the only one here, but I you know I always on all of my machines have like a a path added to my or a directory added to my path that will be something like Ben in my home directory or something like that, and all my custom scripts are in there, hmm. so that like whenever I'm on any environment, I can be like, oh, do this and like. You know, like for example, I have one, uh, to just sync my files, uh, you know, to to for backup purposes for archival purposes related to the show, right? So I could just do like CB sync and it, it'll it'll sync everything. Uh, you know, do you guys do that kind of thing too? Never thought nope. about it. I like it, it makes sense. Why wouldn't you? Well, where do you put all your scripts then in the folder that I'm going to use them in? Yeah, <laughs> oh, so so just like the one time though, but like these aren't like. But you don't have them, like, automating for common things there, right? No, it, but it's a great idea. Like, well, I'm talking about, like, definitely, like, for for things that, you know, you'd want to – that aren't necessarily, like, related to a project. Right. I think that's what you're t- you're talking about, right?
1: Well, no. I mean, you might – like, that command that I was talking about for Docker with the Docker Compose, like, the only thing that would ever really change in that would be which, which potential service you were wanting to look at. So, it totally makes sense to have a find errors in – you know, script, and then you could just basically pass it in the service that you want. Like, I
0: guess never really crossed my mind. I have, I have just like a slew of little scripts for that. Like if I wanted to, you know, manage the Slack, the coding block Slack, right? I have scripts for that that are just there in my home directory, like raids across like, you know, various computers in my house. I'm like, oh, let me make sure that all the raid systems in the house are like fine I said that plural <laughs> and right. it's just like, and it'll like go and do what it has to do. Right. Like I think people heard that they're like, he has
1: raids. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, it's raids. 2019.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. All right. You're up. All right. That's uh, tip 21, one, one. Use the power of command shells, shells, shells. <laughs>
0: there's an echo. Oh well, yeah. It's no good if there's no echo.
1: So I, we already said this is if you learn the show, you'll be more productive. Like it's straight up. That's it. That's this is not you should go do it. If you haven't ever explored it, do it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I view it as like if you are able to keep your fingers on the keyboard typing, right, then those are 10 digits that you have working for you, right? That's 10 outputs that your brain can be like trying to signal things to happen versus if you have to use one hand To move a mouse and click on something and then you're limited to the one hand, right? So that's part of where I view like you can be more productive is that you can just move faster.
1: So. 10 versus one. That is absolutely true. And it's funny. Here's here's a side benefit that I wanted to mention. I told you I'd be um, bringing up Ryan Monster again in here. So we were working on a project together. And, and he was kind of used to doing things through the the UI on some stuff. I was like, look, dude, we're about to go into a Linux world. You're going to have to learn some commands here. I said, and dude, it's going to be frustrating at first, but here's what's going to happen. After you learn how to do some of this stuff. And I think specifically, I might've even been talking about VI or Vim. I was like, you're going to feel like a wizard. You're going to feel like you've just leveled up and you're some all powerful coding God and it was funny, he's like, he came back over after a week or so, he's like, man, you were so, ser- that was so true. Like, for some reason, I feel like I have, like, advanced so far just by knowing and dealing with this kind of stuff. Like, you seriously feel like your skill set jumps just by learning some command line stuff.
0: As And as any true wizard, he had, like, a, you know, foot-long white beard, uh, of course, of course. You know, that he gained from the process of learning the command. just over the weekend. Yes. Yeah, that that'll happen. <laughs> True story.
2: <laughs> All right, and uh, someone's got in here a funny side note. And I think that um maybe <laughs> being facetious, this uh when this book was written, they made a comment on how inferior the Windows CLI was compared to Unix. And yeah, I mean, it it's, uh, it's funny that things are, are different now and that the, the CLI has gotten a lot better in Windows. But it's also funny how that's been like in the last two years of that 20, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. PowerShell's gotten huge on
1: Windows, especially for system administrators and all that kind of stuff. And I think with the rise of a lot of Windows systems, they had to start growing those tools, right? Like it was no longer command line was an object or, or a, it, it wasn't good enough.
2: And then Man, I definitely like the tools being command line first. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the, the other, the other funny side note that I just noticed when they were talking about this or so outlaw brought up Sigwin, that was also one that I used in the past for like SSHing and whatever is they say, Hey, um, you need to check out their license because they use GNU and they called it a legal virus. Yeah. That was awesome. Because, yeah. you know, left. yeah, left. We, we talked about it a long time ago on our episode about, you know, open source licensing and, and how nobody understands it. But, yeah, the whole thing is if you modify anything in there, if you add to what they were doing with any of it, you have to open source your code as well. So that's that's why they call it a legal virus because that's what the copy left is. So they, I just thought that was funny. They pointed it out in the book, and this book's old, and they were still saying that.
0: Yeah.
2: <clears throat> yeah, and we've got some challenges here. Um, first one is could you automate things that you do in it via a UI or tasks that you share with the peer that include click this button? And I think the answer is yes, definitely. Uh, I was gonna say no,
1: <laughs> <laughs> says the guy with his own bin path. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm really surprised. I totally expected to learn some cool things that you guys were doing
1: there. You know, what's funny is I do stuff like that all the time. Like when I, when I downloaded commander, it doesn't install on your system. And I was like, oh, yeah. man. Plus well, the advantage of
0: commander is that you don't have to install anything,
1: but I wanted to be able to call it directly. So I put it in my path. So I definitely do it to other things. I've just never thought about doing it to my own script directory. I like it. I will probably do it now.
0: <clears throat> All right, I want to learn something cool next
2: time you do it so tell me All right. yeah I've always just thought project based so I always have like, projects usually have some sort of script directory in it Yeah. Uh, so when working in a new environment see if you can use your shell of choice well that's not okay I guess that's kind of a challenge <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll see if I can uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, if your current shell has an issue you can't overcome see if an alternative would cope better Have you guys heard of fish? Mm -hmm. Fish shell? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I heard it's nice, but it does some non-standard things, so people kind of—it's controversial. But uh, I'm going to stay away from it because (laughs) I'm not an early adopter. I like to make sure that things are like you know my my investments are safe.
1: I like being in zero point one point one, not zero
2: point one (laughs) point zero. I'm a version three kind of (laughs) guy.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I've definitely like you know, we were joking about uh corn shell earlier. Like it made me remember uh, as you were saying that one, like I, I knew a guy that I worked with, the corn shell was his preferred shell of choice. And he actually had VI as his command line, uh, like editor, like on the command line itself, he could use VI commands to edit the command. Well wow. Does that make sense? Like he, like the keystroke bindings for VI were bound to his, and I was like, oh, dude, that's really cool, and I will never do that.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I've heard of interview challenges where people are like, I want to see if you can exit VI. Oh, It's <laughs> too easy. Come on. Uh, well, it is if you know about it. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be like, man, I hit the X button at the top. Like, I don't know what to do.
2: <laughs> I don't even know how to list the commands, and I just Google. Like, how do I copy and paste again? Yeah, it's nuts.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, there's definitely some, some VI gurus out there that like w- spend their day in it way more than I do that I'm kind of jealous of. Like, especially when you see, uh, uh, what's the, dang it. What's the extension call where you can have the tree that the file tree show up in, uh, VID. You know what I'm talking about?
1: No, uh,
0: I've seen it. Dang it. I don't know. I don't know remember what, the what it's called is. now. I can't remember it, but yeah, you're like, Oh jeez, man, that's just—I would have never even thought of that. Like, I thought I was special because I could turn on like line numbers and stuff. Nerd tree? Yes, there you go, nerd tree. Because I remember making fun of the name. I remember like calling out, like, uh, "Wow, your 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 directory trees—they're making fun of you." That's crazy. I didn't yeah. know about this. Learn something new every day.
2: Yeah, you ever seen a? I saw a presentation from someone, uh, uh, Ian. Hey, Ian, uh, who was doing um, like not relative line numbers in Vi. So if they oh, would scroll God. down to the middle of the file, I it would show those. like negative one, negative two, negative three. It. And it's because there's some commands where you can do stuff like this relative. So you can say like copy this to line three or whatever, but it will all be relative based on the command. So it wouldn't show the normal line numbers. But it's freaky as I'm watching them do the presentation. I'm like, yeah, like you're is on line on zero,
0: there? you're on line zero, but the line above you is negative one and the line below yep. you is positive one. Yeah. Oh God, I hate that. But
1: it's so amazing when you think about what's
0: built into that editor that has been around. It's so difficult. It's so difficult to say, like, oh no. Like if you're like in a pair program kind of situation, you're like, no, go to line negative three. (laughs) Uh But then like if they move the cursor as you're talking, which always happens, now that negative Negative three changes. (laughs) I'm sorry, now it's negative five. Right. Nope. It's negative six now. Now it's positive one. (laughs) Now you missed it. Like give me the keyboard. That's why I hate those that's why I hate the relative one. Like if you're working solo fine, then then it makes sense. But whenever you're in a pair program coming in a situation, the relative numbers uh, that's amazing.
2: Okay. You know funny story so after I saw that presentation from Ian, uh, I talked to him he was doing a go presentation. I was like, man, you gotta meet my uh, our buddy will. Uh, like I think you guys would really hit it off. I see that guy one week later. he's like, hey man, i I ran into will. like, what? That's cool. Sure enough. I kind of put them at like in in touch on kind of Twitter. It was like, Oh, Hey, you know, ask Will. So, you know, something, something like that. Anyway, they ended up, uh, there was like a go conference in between and they both just happened to be there. So I was like, well, that's weird. Small world. (laughs) Here we go. You
0: guys are in the same state. That's coding blocks for you. Putting coders, coders together. That's what we do. Bringing the world together one compile at a time. All right. So with that, uh, we're, we'll have some links to resources we like. Clearly, the pragmatic programmer will be in there. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week.
2: All right. And I've got to thank uh G for this one, as uh, I've thanked him so many times. If you go to app.programmingfonts.org, then you can see a really convenient way of browsing uh, coding fonts. And seeing the ones that like work great for you. And so I, I've been a big fan of uh, fear code since, uh, since bad fucking God turned me on to it a while ago and uh, looking at it now, I was like, yeah, it's still the best, you know, whatever. Like I, I have no need to change. It's perfect. And, but then I start clicking around some of these other fonts. I was like, you know, it does kind of look a little blocky now that I think about it. Maybe oh, you want to other guys. Yeah, cool. awesome. I want to see, uh, can you, f- can you filter by ones with ligatures? That's what I need to know.
0: This is for like use in like a uh, Visual Studio Code or uh, Atom or something. Yeah, anywhere you can install fonts. So these are all free fonts,
2: uh, and so you can just kind of look for the ones that uh, the ones that look nicest for you. You just got a nice little code block here, so you can see what things look like, and you actually can type in that editor too.
0: We've actually talked about the ligatures though before. I mean, I'm not finding an example r- right now as I click through here, but we've talked about using ligatures in uh, Visual Studio Code before. Here we go. Uh, fixed Sys. Uh, with ligatures but their example doesn't show any oh yeah it does well, no, fear it code fear
1: code also has ligatures is it
0: do they show it in the example
1: yeah up at the top if you if you click it the console.log has an equals like an arrow
2: and there's an or or on line 22
1: and if you just go down I mean you can type in your own code too so you could say not equal
0: right yeah fi- fixed fix this with ligatures did have it sorry Yeah,
1: so, yeah, this is really neat.
0: I didn't... I'm trying to remember what episode it was that we talked about that, though.
2: Yeah, I really wish... Oh, no, there is one. Okay, so you, you can turn ligatures on or off. So, that's weird. You can turn... Okay. Sorry, I'm getting confused. You can say no ligatures... I haven't figured out how to say only ligatures. Oh, I found it. Okay. It's the button it's at the It's the top. second arrow. Yeah. It's the, there's like one where it's like a text arrow, and there's one that's like an arrow, arrow. So you click the arrow, arrow, and it will show you all the only ones with ligatures, which I really like ligatures.
1: Yeah. This is really cool. <clears throat>
2: nice. And tool. there are eight with ligatures.
0: Okay. So so I found it. It was back at uh, our Docker for developers episode where we talked about using ligatures in your IDE with fonts like FiraCode was specifically mentioned. And it was Mad Viking God that gave the gave that tip then, and now he gave this tip for this one too. You said right, uh, micro G. Oh,
2: okay, micro G. Yep, but Mad Viking God was very enthusiastic about it.
0: The Borg, the Borg
2: Sans Mono is really nice.
0: I like that Borg one. Borg Sans Mono.
2: Yeah, you see, you could change your language too. So you're like, oh, let me just see a C Sharp. Oh, well, there's no C Sharp. But let me see a Go example.
1: I did not. I see it down there. Look at that. <clears throat> They left out C-sharp, haters.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's C-like. What's wrong with C-like? Because that covers Java.
1: Yeah, I guess. Whatever.
0: I mean, because <laughs> they don't specifically call it Java.
1: Man, I don't know what's in my throat now. That's ridiculous. All right. So, I guess mine then. So, one of the challenges, if you are learning new shells and new editors and whatnot, it's just learning key bindings and what you have to do and the various different things, and so I thought, hey, I wonder if there's like a Cliff's Notes for these things, right? And I found one. There's a there's a site called Chief Cheat uh, Cheatography, easy for me to say, and they have a bunch of cheat sheets. So for Sublime, for Wikipedia, for um, Emacs, for Vim, for Vi. They have them for Visual Studio Code, Eclipse, like all kinds of things. So, if you want a cheat sheet, so that you can go in and and Vi is one of those that you need a cheat sheet for. Nerd Tree is specifically caught out. Oh, very nice. By the way, very nice. Um, so so you actually have the ability to just sort of have these quick ones where somebody's taking the time to create these PDFs or whatever, or even a web page that has the key bindings and whatever, so that you can do tasks in these. So.
0: I thought that would be pretty cool. Um, Now I'm going to become a nerd tree expert. There you go. I got a cheat sheet for it. And then
1: for anybody that's like, what's this Cliff's Notes things he's talking about? You guys remember (laughs) in high school where you'd have this book report that you had to do and you're like, man, this book is like 500 pages long. (laughs) I don't have time for that. Who has time for that? Like, I got other stuff I got to do in high school. And so, you would go to your local Barnes & Noble or whatever,
0: and you would find cliff notes. Barnes all- & Noble wasn't even a thing then, though, was it? Like... Back in my day? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, it was, it was back in my day, too. Yeah. I mean, I would just would go on Amazon and order it. You
1: know? Yeah. Uh- but yeah, totally. Jerk. It, it was a thing. Oh, uh, but it was kind of it was kind of like the uh, the dummies books, except for whatever book you had to
0: read. So like, um, I'm trying to think, what was the? It was just an abbreviated version of the book. It was yeah. just like here's the highlights. But here's the thing, though. Like, I never once ever bought one, read one, or used one. Really? Never. Oh, dude, I used them because for because the my teachers books. would know. They're like those were already things. So the teachers would like go buy the Cliff Notes, and then they would purposely make the test. To where it skipped all of the Cliff Notes parts. You had to make sure you what? didn't have a teacher that was that experienced. That was the teachers. That was those were my teachers. You went to a good school, man. Right?
2: Yeah. My, like Charles Dickens would be like pick up the Cliff Notes and the thing would be like twenty pages and you little book it's like eight hundred. Like, uh, mm, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Maybe I'll miss one or two. Like there'll be something in there, but maybe I can guess and figure it out, right? So
2: I I'd definitely spent a few bucks on some Cliff Notes in my in my lifetime. Yeah, I want to Same. see your test that I was like, what color was the the sky on Thursday? Was it slate gray? Was it dappled flavors of orange? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Flavors of orange? Yeah. yeah. The, did you say dappled flavors
0: of orange? Yeah,
2: he, I don't even know. that. I mean, that sounds like some... Uh, some Darwin stuff. I don't know Darwin yeah. <laughs> and Dickens stuff. Like Oedipus, I hated I hated Oedipus
1: and books. all those things. Like the Iliad or whatever. It was like nah, man. They didn't even rhyme.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, we know how Rabbit feels about That's his rhymes. Future right, rapper That's of right.
1: America here. Um, and then the other one I wanted to do that I wanted to share is Udemy. Like we've we've recommended like courses and whatnot on Udemy. And here's the thing, man like it is a frustrating site because they have sales like every other day, yeah. it feels like. And if you hit their site on a day when there's not a sale, the courses that you typically buy for 12 or 13 bucks is 150. So, my tip is, and you know, I say this to help everybody out if you hit the site and you wanted to buy a course and you see it's like greater than $15 go search for a coupon and then click that link yeah somebody else is going to get a buck for doing it but the price of your course will drop back down to a reasonable
0: 11.99 or or 12.99 or something so just know about that Docker and Kubernetes the complete guide regular price 99.99 on sale for thirteen ninety
1: nine. Yeah, I mean, and typically, if you use one of those discount codes, you get it even cheaper, right? You might even get it for nine ninety nine. So, you know, I, I hate saying that because there's somebody that spent a lot of time out there making these courses. But on the flip side, you know, if you want to grow your technology skills, you know, you sa- you save yourself a dollar or two, then buy five
2: of them. Right? Buy five of that duty <laughs> courses. Well, y- you know what's funny? Uh, if you use the author's coupon code, they get ninety seven percent of that sale. Ah. if you browse to it via Udemy they get 50%. Right.
1: Huh. So they, they
2: still might work out for the better for them to use
1: their coupon. So yeah, if they have their own site, go to their site, see if they have a way to link to it.
0: Well, I think I would rather have 50% of $100 than 97% of 13.
1: Well, yeah. No, yeah, but it depends on on what kind of that's the thing that's maddening about Udemy is it's it's kind of good and bad for everybody involved. Yeah. So
0: but they do have some great courses up there. And they're always having like some sale though. That's the frustrating thing. It's always a sale and it's always like a high pressure kind of situation. Like the sale ends in two days. I'll buy yep. five. <gasps> it's nine ninety <laughs> nine right now. And if you don't get yep. it, you'll never know anything about Python. That's right.
2: Yeah. And you add the credit and it's like, Would you like to buy this one too for a uh, two extra dollars? And well, <laughs> I mean, $2, yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, of course I need to learn that probably too. Like, yeah.
1: Right now, I know that Joe's in this, and you probably are too, Outlaw. I've bought more courses than what I can reasonably learn in the next three months. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's not even possible, but they're there. They're mine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's so – like, the trouble that I have with some of them, though, too, I love them. I I, I love how easy it is to get – to learn – about anything, be it on YouTube or Udemy or Coursera or Pluralsight or whatever. Like there's so many ways to learn right now out there for free or for a reasonable price. Right. But even just finding the time to watch the thing or like halfway listen to the thing while I'm like writing, while I'm doing like my day job, for example, I find that hard enough to do, let alone to actually go all the way through it. Let alone if I actually take the time to be like, okay, I'm gonna go and code with the guy. Let me do it. In the course, right? Like it can be a full-time job to just go through that. You'll be like, oh, well, this particular section is 30 minutes long. That won't take me that long. An hour and a half later, you're like, okay, well, I finally got that sorted out. Because <laughs> like, yeah, they're talking in 30 minutes, but you know, they're not giving you time to type while you're doing it. So you're like, okay, let me pause. Oh, wait, there yep. was a bug, like something didn't work, or like maybe the course is a little bit out of date or something like, you know, there might be a point release since they did it, you know, not their fault necessarily, but yeah.
1: It's the same thing as demos you watch up on stage, right? Like like oh, somebody yeah. goes up there and does it, and you're like, that is amazing. <laughs> it's what always you that don't easy realize, in the demo. Yeah, what you don't realize is for that one hour demo, that person spent 40 hours yeah. hitting all the weird things that they hit to make that flawless looking execution, right? And that's right. That's always what you run into when you're doing these things on your own, which is good. That's how you learn it, but, you know, yeah. Whatever. 28 courses. That's how many you've bought? Mm, uh, well, I don't know. I, don't yeah, know, like, I bought them all. Okay, I've <laughs> I've bought a few, but okay, yeah. So, I've probably bought six or seven myself, and it's just it's overwhelming. All right.
0: Well, I'm going to lighten the load a little bit here with my tip of the week. So let's say you like to use emojis in your, you know, whatever you're typing, emails, text messages, IMs, but you can't remember like how to type that perfect emoji for that particular situation. Well, emojicons.com is here to save you. (laughs) So you can go to emojicons.com. And you can see great little <laughs> emojis that you'd be like, oh yeah, that's the one I want to use. Let me click the uh, well, I don't know if I want to say that one out loud, uh, but you know, you could click on the little button to copy it and you know, paste it into your uh, whatever you're trying to type it in, and there you go. So like, you want zombie face, and you're like, oh uh, yeah, I want I want a zombie. I want to add a zombie face, and I'm gonna click the copy button and then add it, and then you're done. And now yeah. you can just.
1: Isn't that awesome? You just leveled up my Slack game. Here right? It goes. Isn't that yeah. great? Isn't that great? <laughs> I'm going to be a better Slacker.
0: Right? Yeah. And then, like, I, I don't want to say what this one was called, but, well, you know, it. but well, it was called something you. You might be able to figure it out. But now you see that one there in our notes, and, you know, you can get the idea of what that one might mean. So, so I love that, though. Emojicons.com. And then another one, we were talking about, you know, just listening to things while you work. So if you haven't already heard of this podcast, uh, Carbonite has uh, released a podcast, and I think they're already past the first two seasons, I guess, I hope they're working on season three, because I really love this podcast called Breach. And if you are like me, and you love things related to security, uh, as it relates to IT, then this episode, this podcast is the podcast for you to check out. Basically, think of a serial like podcast, okay? Where where it's story, where like one it's seasonal, and so it's you know each episode in the season is going along a common theme, and they're discussing the notorious data breaches, right? Uh you know, really enjoyable podcast. So yeah, give I'll give be, breach uh, a give breach a listen. Excellent. Give breach a chance.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> All we are
0: saying. Yep,
1: that's all we're saying. All we are saying. Oh, yeah.
0: Sorry. Yep. You, you got Alan singing again. <laughs> all right. Now, oh. who didn't turn off the phone? You did not disturb. Oh, Mr. Joe Zach. Oh, mine's always on mute. Oh, yeah, you'll never hear it. And then there it is, Joe.
1: It's down on the couch somewhere. Yeah. I can't do anything about this one.
0: <laughs> oh, I can't. It's a landline. I don't know why I have a landline still, but it doesn't count because it's a landline. <laughs> it, it
2: counts, not my Joe. landline. Yep. Mother-in-law's calling. Uh, there's no mutant. <laughs>
1: You know, I don't know that we've ever had any of these things go off during a show because we're really good about it. Usually like 2 a.m. when we're doing the recording. <laughs> that helps, too. Yep. But today we've had
2: two. That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry about that. All
1: right.
2: <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so we got a, a couple tips uh, that we covered this time. So we talked about uh, tip 20, 2020. Keep knowledge in plain text. And tip 21, 21, 21 use the power of command shells.
0: And so with that, uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And uh, as Alan mentioned earlier, if you haven't already, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a review. If you wanted to help us out in any way, uh, we would appreciate it if you took the time to leave us a review. If for no other reason than to put a smile on our face. Uh, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. And you know what? I should add to that because not all places will let you leave a review. So like, for example, I think in Overcast, it's just a star, right? right. So, you know, depending on where you're finding us, uh, whatever the appropriate uh, method of, of, you know, hitting that like button, whatever the equivalent is. Definitely. And while you're up there at
1: codingblocks.net, check out our show notes, our examples, discussions and more.
2: Yeah, and check out the Slack. We lucked into having the best programming Slack on the whole internet. And it's really not fair for other people that have tried really hard, but <laughs> I'll take it and I love it and it's great. And you can join too by going to codingblocks.net slash slack and just click the little button. It'll send you email and you're in. Oh, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Coding and you can check out the website. We can find lots of social links for anywhere else you want to hook up.